Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, don't we find ourselves in a pickle this morning? <laughs> Everybody is talking about Trump's arrest. Oh, no. Is Trump going to get arrested? Is Trump not going to get arrested? What's going on? What's, what's happening with the, uh, the New York DA or, or whoever that person is who's obsessed with Trump? Uh, quite frankly, I, we talked about this already. He's not going to get arrested. And if he is, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's a political witch hunt. It's, a, you know, it's, it's pure politics. It's nothing with justice. Never did. Uh, but that's not the issue. That's not the issue that has me perplexed. That's not the issue that puts us in a pickle. The real issue, the issue that I want to talk about, that a few folks are, you know, you go on media, you know, you know I'm not the only genius out there, <laughs> far from it, but uh, hopefully certainly one of them um, that is looking into the fact that uh, Donald Trump is going to Waco this uh, Saturday for his, 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 like, kickoff speech. Now, think about that. Now, why would Trump, who has been kicked out by the government, the government chose the government, you know, why would Trump? Uh, go start his very first speech at Waco, which just happens to be going through the 30th anniversary of the siege at Waco, where the FBI, ATF, KGB, Gestapo killed uh, 80 people in a most gruesome and disgusting manner, uh, and then walked away like heroes, many of whom I'm sure are still serving in government, which is something I've been trying to investigate. So, so, and he's going there. Now, so this might be a question, and a question I have for Brianna, too, uh, as she's on the line as well, is... What is Trump going to say about Waco when he's in Waco? Why else would he go there for his initial speech if not to talk about the deep state, the deep state that, that uh, basically stole the election from him, stole the lives of, of 80 some odd people, cheered about it. And the main perpetrator, Bill Clinton, is still at large. The murderer, the mass murderer of Waco is still at large, has never paid a price for this, has never been brought to trial, never even been accused of all of the, the crimes against humanity, war crimes and things that that man has done. And still he walks free. Well, on that light note, <laughs> let's get to Brianna and see what she has to say. She started as a guest on Action Radio, courtesy of our Constitution reporter, Amber Kemper. Both Brianna and Amber are graduates of Patriot Academy, a place where young folks get to practice writing and advocating legislation and being legislators in a mock session. Brianna immediately impressed all of us as someone we wanted on the show with her own report. With an insightful mind, asking and taking on complex questions, and a growing skill in sarcasm and satire, plus her study of government, history, the Constitution, and our founding, all of her skills and knowledge combine into something pretty incredible here on Action Radio. And now, the Government Inquiry Report with Brianna Cannon. So on that light note, <laughs> sorry, I tend to do that. Um, good morning. Uh, this uh, is a question I want to kind of pose to you, and I know you have lots of stuff you want to talk about, but uh, I'd like to start here because you, you missed this. This is one of these, you know, this is, we're talking 30 years ago. Uh, and so I'm just curious what you've heard, uh, what you think of this, and what do you think uh, Trump's going to say at, at Waco this Saturday? I mean, this has got to be set up. He's got to be set He has to have something planned. I can't imagine he's going to Waco during the, the 30th anniversary of Waco without having something to say about it. 
That just doesn't make sense to me. Good morning, Brianna. Good morning. Um, I mean, the coincidence is probably not so coincidental. So, I mean, maybe. I don't know much about it, though. Okay. Well, listen to the third hour. I'm going to go over the timeline uh, and some different articles. I lived through this. I wasn't there, but I wanted to be there. You know, I would have happily picked up a rifle uh, and taken up arms against the FBI ATF, as a lot of folks were thinking of doing. They had overwhelming force. They had tanks. They had all kinds of stuff. So my plan would have been to get, you know, all, all the, uh, the state militias and surround the FBI ATF and say, stop this. You need to stop this now. You need to settle this peacefully, but stop whatever you're doing. That was, that was what I was hoping to do. And, of course, I didn't have a big voice then, but I'm writing articles and, you know, doing stuff. This is, again, 30 years ago. Um, so I was, let me see, I would have been 33, 32, 33 years old at this point. So, yeah, this half my life ago. <laughs> and you think it's a long time, but it's really not. Time does go by fast. Um, and so you, you'll find time accelerates because when you're five years old, you know, a year is like 20% of your life. But when you're 60 years old, a year is like 60th of your life. It's a whole lot smaller percentage. It's really kind of interesting. Anyway, point being, uh, this is the time to look back at it. And it, it's kind of tragic that so few people are looking back at this. The worst uh, example of government tyranny that I know of was the, was the, the massacre at Waco. And it was all done by Bill Clinton. Like I said, he was happily walking around free, has never been uh, brought to justice, never been tried, never even been accused, never gone through any, any uh, due process of any kind for what he did there and what others did there. And, of course, I'm wondering where, where others are in government now. Kind of curious. So that'll be we'll – be, I'll be talking about this for the next month. Uh, this is going to be a very serious topic. But, uh, but like I say, because um, it's something that happened 30 years ago and you don't have a direct experience, I'm, I'm curious, have you heard anything? Uh, is it talked about now? Do, do people, when they think of uh, government oppression, you think of the Holocaust, you think of uh, the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, which actually happened April 19th, too. It seems to be one of those days uh, that things happen. A lot of things happen on April 19th. Uh, we started a war with Britain over our independence on April 19th. Uh, Timothy McVeigh symbolically uh, uh, had a part, I'm not sure how much was murder building and how much was government, uh, in the Oklahoma bombing. Oh, yeah, that's something we can talk about. I don't know if you want to talk about that. That's kind of close to home. But uh, that's something we should probably take up at some point, uh, maybe closer to April 19th, if, if you want to. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of st- April 19th is one of those key days. It's also a marathon day. Uh, a lot of things happen. A lot of world events have happened on that day for some reason. Back to you. I know that's a lot. Big statement there for all that. Yeah. Um, I'm not really it. sure on much. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we uh, – let's put that aside for now and uh, listen to the third hour. Uh, check out some of the articles I have on my special investigations page. Uh, I've got an article by Jim Bovard, who happens to be a friend of one of our reporters, uh, Tina Terry, who's been on a bunch of times. And so I'll see if we can get Jim on the show to actually talk about it, about his article. So that would, uh, that'd be, like, let me write that down. I've been meaning to get him on the show for a while. So what do you want to talk about? What's on, what's on your mind? What have you noticed? Of, what do you want to inquire upon this week? Um, I think I'll start with this. It's, I was something I was listening to, uh-huh. um, and it was with a guy named Dennis Berrond or something like that. I'm not it? sure I pronounce it. Yeah, when I when I'm not sure I always spell it out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Start again. B e h r e a n d t. N d t. Berrond. 
Sounds like Brian. Yeah, it's probably a French name. Cause it seems like it has extra letters in it. When anything, any word has extra letters, especially three at the end, I assume it's French. <laughs> Don't mind me. So go ahead and tell me as I do my Cluso voice what you have to say about this particular article. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> You're not used to my accents, I can tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes, you know who the mature one is on the show. It's not me. <laughs> Go ahead, Brianna. I always mix up like Australian and British accents. Oh, Australian would be like, good eye. How's it going, Mike? British would be, eh, well, she wants an upper crust British accent. We can talk like this. Oh, it can be like Cockney, you know. It's a little different accent. Or maybe like the Beatles from Liverpool. Because we're good boring Scottish lassie. Imagine me wearing a kilt sitting here doing the radio show. So there's a bunch of accents. I want to show them we could be Irish. Wish it was for St. Patrick's Day. I want to wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day, lass. Now please continue. <laughs> Would you like to pick an accent? I'm good. I'll stick with American. American? All right, give me a good old American accent. I want to hear American talk. I like America. This is a great country. You just go ahead and you tell me your American views on everything. How are we doing? Brianna doesn't know what to make of me this morning. <laughs> um, okay. She's lost it. That's okay. See, so this, this radio is part Rush Limbaugh, part uh, Robin Williams. And that was the Robin Williams part. So you know, I, have, I have my different influences depending on, you know, what's going on. And Jonathan Winters, a little bit of him thrown in too. You have to look him up. He's before my time. All right. Do I have you totally flustered um, this morning? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but I guess switching from the language lesson. Um, uh-huh. You started. Don't blame me. Was... <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing you. Okay. All right, go ahead. Seriously. I'll put on my serious face now. Really, I will. I'm trying. I just, you know. Too much fun, right? <laughs> Uh, is there such a thing? So, um, so this is the advantage of not growing. I want to say right now, so I'll give you some life advice here. Don't grow up. There's no future in it. People who grow up get boring. They they, they take on all kinds of stupid responsibilities. They're miserable. Uh, they're always having to, to prove they're mature. And I just gave that up a long time ago. Once I decided that I wasn't going to grow up, it didn't mean I wouldn't you know be responsible. I just wasn't going to you know be one of these adults that you know once you get there, you know what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, I'll let you know when I grow up. I'm <laughs> not there yet. So it, it relieves you of all kinds of things, of, of expectations and problems and hassles and you know, having to be mature and all that kind of stuff. I don't worry about that anymore. I just you know, do what comes to mind. And if, if I'm feeling in a funny mood, then that's what happens. So, yeah. All righty, then. Otherwise, I'll do Yoda. <laughs> mm. Lesson for today. Very important. Forces with me, it is. Mm. Young Padawan. That's actually a pretty good Yoda accent. Well, thank you. Uh, I like doing Yoda. Yoda's fun. Yoda and I are old friends. Okay. You should try it. You want to try it? You want to do a voice next week? See if you can do a, an impression of either an accent or a character. We'll add to your radio repertoire. No. No. Oh, come on, Brianna. It's just us here talking, and most of the rest of the world. But you know, don't worry about that. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
I'm not good with accents at all. Okay. Well, it's just practice. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like anything else. It's practice. You try it. You try it when nobody's looking or listening, and then eventually you get one. And then when you get one, you get another one. And then you start thinking in accents, and it, it becomes easy. Like if I wanted to be Indian, I would have a wonderful time. We get some gritty powder on our chicken tandoori. It tastes very good. Thank you very much. You know, you just you just think it, and it happens. Just imagine a character, and then you, your voice comes out. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> Easy peasy. Yeah, I know you didn't expect this chat this morning, neither did I. Just, like everything else here, it's pretty much spontaneous. But, yeah, we can be serious now. Would you like to be serious now? Let me actually let me give you a, a, a serious. Let's let's uh, take a, 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 a let me give you a serious news uh, identifying thing. This will put you in a, in a serious news mood. How's that? Let me let me play this and you can come back and be serious. Now the serious news with Brianna Cannon. The serious news. <laughs> I'm trying. Really, I am. It's not working. I really am trying. I, yeah, okay. I think I just blew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I um, promise I, I won't. I won't interrupt you again. I won't. I just. Yeah. So on the Dennis thing, he was. Um, he was a science journalist or scientific mm-hmm. journalist or he was a journalist who did a lot of like science stuff. Okay. Whatever you call that. And, no, I think you're right. Science um, journalist. He wrote sense. a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wrote a book called Endgame. And so on this, he was kind of talking about like why he wrote it and, and what's, what it is about in general. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a little terrifying, to be honest. Okay. So it it was covering a couple of different points, and I don't remember everything of it, but um, one of the things was about a new species. And I think I talked to you about this before. Well, he was also talking about this, and what he was saying, he was being a little bit more specific in it, though, than what I had learned before. What they're wanting to do is, um, also, this is kind of like combining a bunch of things that I said before, and it all kind of, like, tied together in this. Um, Because have I told you about, like, the um, earbuds that can track your brainwaves and the bracelets that can track, like, what happens inside your no, but this is actually really common. Uh, this is actually this is a very good thing because uh, you know I, I see myself doing doing a similar kind of thing. Not just good because I do it, but because it, it's good that you're able to relate different stories together. This is what I'm hoping for. And so a lot of people when they report on stories, they'll give like the separate, uh, isolated story, and they never think of anything else. But it's a much higher level of reporting if you can take a group of stories, relate them together, find patterns, analyze those patterns, and then present what you what you think and what you find. And it's it's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of what you observe. And so this is this is a this is the, an elevated level of reporting that you're doing. So uh, congratulations, proud of you. Keep going. Uh, what uh, what have you discerned from what you've learned from these different stories? That's really interesting. So I think he really tied it together because he's done like extensive research on like um, the economic form and 
what's happening in um, these different, I guess you could call it like scientific communities, but I don't think that might be the right word. Um, he also went into a little bit just to like um, understand what he was kind of talking about. Um, okay. Of where he's coming from is he was really big advocate for, you know, educating people on the science because that's what really impacts our life. And he was saying um, that whatever their ideas are, whatever their passions are, their goals are, you always look at that. Not as much just look at directly what they're doing, but look at their ideas because that will show you where they're trying to go. And no matter what they're doing, they will do anything for their goal to be reached. And he was saying that some people are even trying to create humans that can live eternal lives. I mean, there are some psychopaths there. Um, mm -hmm. But moving on to this specific thing about the new species, what, what it is, is there, I think this is, goes into what I was saying before about um, a human species where there's like the higher level and the elite and there's the lower level. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, we talked is, a little bit about this, but uh, it's definitely worth pursuing. Yeah, they, they'll like genetically modify the humans mm -hmm. and they'll like kind of like merge them with technology somehow. I think mm -hmm. that's like their, that's what he was saying, like their goal kind of is with this. And I'm completely paraphrasing everything here. Um, mm -hmm. So that's okay. what they were talking about is essential humans and population control. So what they would be doing is they would be genetically modifying these humans to do only the jobs and only the things that they absolutely need them to do, and everything else will obviously like be the machines. And then from there, they're able to keep the population under control. Um. So one of the things he was comparing it to was, like, the pandemic precursor, which a lot of people have been commenting on how the pandemic has been a precursor for, for a bunch of different avenues of government tyranny. Mm -hmm. And so he was kind of relating this to one other thing, where there's essential jobs and every other job was closed down. And he was talking about that, that there's really no such thing as only essential jobs and that it was wrong for the government to do that. And, of course, we know it was wrong to shut them down, but he, he was highlighting more the point of he, it was wrong to label essential versus non-essential. And he says that he thinks that's kind of like the precursor of this because, you know, one of the things, because Curtis was talking with him because he was on his um, lesson or whatever, and he was saying that in his town there was like a small little like appliance shop of some sort mm -hmm. that was forced to close down. But the Lowe's, which was huge and had so much more people going in now, had uh, was able to stay open. So right there, you know, that's a conflict of essential. It's the exact same kind of shop, but one's smaller and more local, and one's a big chain. You know, obviously um, – that's one of those things where it's, you know, government control of, like, the big corporations kicking the small guy to the curb. And, of course, why would they in do this that? kind of situation, all uh, those... I just want to do it for a second. Why would, they, why would the government favor large corporations over small? Why do you think? Um, because it can centralize their powers more. Just kind of like the whole bank situation right now, you can see the governments all want to favor those big banks and those big bank mm -hmm. corporations. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's why a lot of, like, conservatives are pushing to bank local. Mm -hmm. Because it fights back on that. 
and also like with that of like why they're wanting to do this, he also talked on that. And it's it's almost like they're deranged kind of. They have these <laughs> these goals and they get so far like their ideas and their position and what they do, they get so far into it. They get too deep to where, you know, they can't actually see clearly. And all they want is more and more and more, and they can't actually understand things. And I think one of the biggest things that contributes to this is because, you know, they don't have God to guide them. And they think that they can do something greater than God has done. And, you know, obviously you can't, but that I think that's where their mindset is, that they don't think that they have this kind of limitation or this morality. They don't have to have this set of reality that they have to care about other humans. And that's something we also talked about a different day is like the lack of humanity we now have. And so I think a bunch of different points have kind of all merged into this set. And one of the fierce things is the population control with this Mm -hmm. is, and of course there's a bunch of different ways to get the population under control. But theirs is not going to be any good. Um, and so basically what it, sa- what it sounds like is they're going to get rid of anybody they deem non-essential humans that aren't this new species because what they're wanting is to kind of like um, get rid of like the lower level of human race. And his book is called Endgame, again, if you want to like go and read it or anything to like learn more about oh, it? Oh, I don't want to read it. No, I, I've given. I mean, I've heard enough from you. I have no. I don't get anywhere near this thing. This is dangerous. But you've obviously done a lot of thinking about this, and it's. it's I think you're absolutely right. Um, so, so I have a bunch of uh, of notes that I've that I've written down for myself here. The first, let's just kind of work backwards. Uh, the first thing I wrote down, the last thing I wrote down was, does God control us? And the reason I wrote that down is because the last thing you said was that these people, that they have this need to control everything, control people, determine who's essential and who's non-essential. Of course, non-essential would be, you know, us older folks. Non-essential would be those that are, are engaged in professions that no longer exist, uh, those that, uh, that protest, object, those that think for themselves, those that don't believe in the collective. I mean, I could go on and on. You know, January 6th people in the D.C. Gulag. You know, so, so where does this stop? You know, it's like the old, uh, there was a line in uh, Clint Eastwood's, uh, one of his Dirty Harry films. You know, I said, if you start executing people for, for, you know, crimes without a trial, where does it stop? Pretty soon you start executing people for jaywalking. And that's, of course, what these dictatorships do. But the question is, you know, as, as powerful as God is and all powerful, the most powerful thing in the universe, God, does not control us. We still have free will. So how is it that God in God's wisdom, has decided that we still have free will, the, the will to make horrible mistakes, the will to cause holocausts, the, the, the will to do all these things, and God does not control or stop that. It still happens. It's up to us to control and stop it. You know? But yet these people, not only do they think they're above God, but they think that they not only have a need to control everybody, but it's justified. So they actually justify their control of us, which is a power greater than God, takes on for God himself. I find that interesting. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason that they don't have God, and they, and they don't. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say understand God because nobody can ever understand Him, but they that's don't the have point. any yeah. kind of yeah yeah knowledge or relationship of Him. And I think that mm-hmm. has really led to this extreme corruption. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also part of you know going deeper into like the religion part of it. You know, you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a Christian in name isn't always the same as um, 
you know, actually having a relationship with God. Um, and so there's a lot of different instances where you can't um, confuse the two and think of everything as, like, simultaneous, if somebody would say that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the biggest things is, like, um, what people will say and how they act and what they do and, I guess, how their attitude is towards things. Well, here's a question. Do you think that uh, these these people that uh, have this incredible need to control and feel above God, do you think they're afraid of God? Um, you know, part and of me naturally wants to say yes, but also logically I would say mm-hmm. no because the fear of God is what Christians have that, that follow him because um, – we know that he is in control and that, you know, he is the creator and the judgment maker. And so what happens in this case is I think what they are doing is not fearing God because if they feared God, there's no way that they would do such atrocities if they actually did. Yeah. I think I'm thinking in, in, in a different sense is that the, I don't know if they fear the competition or they, they fear that the, 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 the judgment, even though they've rejected it. Uh, see, I, I think it's just, and I, you know, when I hear the term God fearing, uh, I, I don't think of myself as fearing God so much as God is a partner in my life. You know? And obviously, you know, the superior partner, but still uh, as someone that helps me, as someone that uh, puts ideas in my head, I do not believe for a second that all the ideas, these wonderful ideas for, I have for Action Radio on a daily basis come from me alone. That, that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. So in that respect, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the partnership. It's like, you know, God puts ideas in my head, and then I then have the responsibility to act on them. That's, that's kind of, I think that's the, 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 the partnership that I have. But these people that, uh, these world-controlling, domineering types, I, I don't know if they're, I think they're, maybe they're afraid of their own mortality. You know, you get so much time. Uh, to do what you do on earth, and then, you know, your spirit and soul goes on from here, maybe they don't think their spirit and soul is going to go on. Maybe they think this is it. Maybe, uh, but I think they're, most of, uh, most bullies are based on cowardice. Most tyrannical leaders are based on insecurity and fear. So in the same way, these people that seem to, the people that want the most control generally have the most fear. And I think there's, there's a a fear of God, not, not of, uh, of God fearing, in other words, doing what, you know, God's will on earth, but a fear in terms of the competition, in terms of, uh, or maybe the judgment that, you know, just in case, well, there is a God that, uh, you know, they'll be judged for what they're doing, and they're trying to maintain so much control that they can control God too. I don't know, because I don't know why they think the way they do. I just see the results of what they do. But I'm always curious as to insights. What do you think? I think building onto that is Mm -hmm. the influence of Satan. And um, I I don't want to get this wrong, but I do believe it is the World Economic Forum. But I could Mm -hmm. be wrong. But it is one of, like, the globalist organizations. And one of the things that they have, and I don't know much about this. I'll I'll have to look more into this because I only learned, like, a short piece of it. Mm -hmm. But they have this group of, I guess you'd just say Satanists. And basically they go and they bring people to Satan. And they basically, people in there um, get demonized. Basically, there was there was this one quote that they were they were talking about. They were they were mm-hmm. quoting somebody from it, saying that you know they had felt Lucifer go into them, and they're brand new. And I was like, you do understand 
that you're letting yourself be a demon, but they don't. They don't understand it. They think that's something that they should truly follow, you know, this Luciferian religion. Um, so that's also a little terrifying. Yeah, they're messing with stuff but, they don't you know, understand. It's not yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a scary thing. If you think, if you, you know, you start messing with, with Satan, you start messing with uh, letting Satan's spirit into you voluntarily, and of course, you know, the rest of us are thinking, are you insane? <laughs> why would you do that to yourself? Why would, you, why would that even be a consideration? Unless there's somehow, you know, it's like Star Wars, they got seduced by the dark side of the force, which I think is what that whole metaphor is all about, you know, between good and evil anyway. You know, Darth Vader being German for dark father. Um, it's just, but it's interesting, the metaphors that go in. Of course, Spielberg had father issues too. That's another story too. Uh, but isn't that, isn't that kind of like a metaphor, the, the dark side? You know, there's more power in the dark side. The dark side is very seductive. The dark side will give you unlimited power and unlimited life. Of course, the trade-off is you lose your soul and you do horrible things. Um, so, I, but I don't think they see that trade-off. They just see the good. They don't realize the price or what they think is the good because it's not good. I mean, definitely misspoke there. But uh, yeah, they just, they don't see. They don't think beyond the, the immediate pleasure and power. Life's great. I can get these rewards. I can do whatever I want. You know, um, did you ever see the movie Crossroads? Ralph Macchio? No. After, after his Karate Kid thing? It's actually a really good film. There's an old black actor. I've forgotten his name, but he's fabulous. He plays an old blues man. And uh, Ralph Macchio, who does not look like a, a blues man at all, or sound, you know, he still looks like a kid. I mean, in fact, all his films, except for my cousin Vinny, he always looks like a, like a kid. And he goes to the crossroads, literally the crossroads. And apparently there is such a place. Uh, in Mississippi called the Crossroads, and there he meets the devil, and the devil makes, a, makes the Faustian bargain. I'll give you, you know, uh, the, the world's greatest guitar ability if, you know, you know uh, when you die, when your time's up, I get your soul. And one of the characters played by Steve Vai, who is a phenomenal guitar player, um, you know, made that deal. And then uh, Ralph Macchio, who doesn't make that deal, comes along, and I won't tell you exactly what happens. It's quite fascinating. But that's the deal. That's the Faustian bargain. Do you get you know, the, the world's greatest ability on earth in exchange for your soul. So in this case, the, the deal is... If these only people... it was in Georgia, then we could say the devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> I should play a soundtrack here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Charlie Daniels, one of the great musicians of all time. Devil went down to Georgia and I'll get my voice real deep. I'll tell you, you son of a... Mm, I'm the best that's ever been. Yeah, that's a good song. Uh, do you play fiddle? Do you play an instrument? I don't think I've ever asked you. No. You should. No. I started oh. guitar with a class in school, but uh-huh. in the next year I had a different elective. So, got it. Oh. Yeah. I was rocking out last night. I found a new place to jam, open mic stuff. I have not had success getting rock bands together. But um, so I'll be jam- I haven't played music all my life. You, have to, you should play an instrument. It's, it's really a tremendous outlet, especially when life gets serious. You know, at the end of my, my crazy political day, I can crank up the tunes and, you know, jam along to YouTubes and, and play some pretty outrageous stuff. So, yeah, I could teach a guitar in four lessons. Now, they'd be six months apart, <laughs> you know, but uh, open. No, seriously, I could. Uh, in fact, I could actually, you know, coach you, do, do it by email and get you, you know, start on a songbook. You know, you, do, you learn your open chords, you learn your bar chords, you learn your scales, and then you learn what are called pentatonic scales. Uh, and especially if you're going to play electric. Would you play electric or acoustic, just to diverge completely? Um, acoustic. Oh, okay. Then I can't help you. <laughs> I, don't, I can't play I can't <laughs> play it, but it, 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 I, just, I, just don't, I can't express myself on an acoustic the way I can on an electric. So when you're playing Hendrix, 
you know, and, and Led Zeppelin stuff and, uh, you know, some more modern classics, you need an electric. So I can teach you to play acoustic in two lessons, open chords and bar chords. Yeah, my friend does electric and acoustic. Okay. Yeah, you can do both. It's just electric's more fun. A little salt <laughs> swing action. It is. It just, you know. But, it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's practice and it's ability, and you wonder how much is God and how much is you and how much, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm playing, the same thing I'm playing along. It's like, how am I able to do this? I was never coordinated in school. I never was an athlete or anything like that. And all of a sudden, I can play these outrageous guitar things. I think that's, that's, uh, that's like a partial benefit for the, the work of action radio is my guitar playing gets better. I think that's, that's, uh, that's kind of like a reward, a trade-off, or, you know, you know for, for, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm playing better than I've ever played in my life, and I'm in my 60s. Most, most rock stars my age are barely functioning. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, anyway, we, do, we are digressing this morning tremendously. Well, let's get back. This is fascinating. So new species. I wrote something down here, too, that uh, if people are partial technology and partial uh, human biology, and I wrote down, what if, uh, what if everybody is dependent on a pacemaker? In other words, for the heart, heart to work. It has to be on a pacemaker, which sets the beat of your heart uh, electronically. And what if the government controlled the pacemakers? Uh-oh. Um. It seems like an idea that has already been thought up, honestly. I mean, they're thinking okay. of any way they can control these people and what happens on their insides. And, you know, if they can threaten somebody's life into submission, that's exactly what they'll do. I mean, I think that's kind of like the whole chip kind of thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that, that people are fearing is, you know, whenever you have those chips and stuff and you put all of your currency and all of your identification and you make you strip your identity and your life into the trust of that little chip that's controlled by the government, mm-hmm. then they can control you. They can control if you're able to get food, if you're able to find water. They can know where you're at at all times. I mean, like you have no more freedoms at that point. Mm-hmm. Which is and the exact opposite like of everything this, this country sure. stands for. I mean, it literally is the exact yeah. opposite of everything our country's built on. Okay, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, yeah. Yeah, I covered it, yeah. Okay. So, what do we do with these people? You know, uh, the, the, you know, the, they should be laughed at. They should be ridiculed. They should, uh, unfortunately, they have too much power. But um, if you remember, remember the, the mass psychosis. You remember how you, the, the the four signs of mass psychosis and the three cures for it. Let's see if I can pull up my uh, my website here. Do we do we talk about this? And I actually have thought about this of Go you know it. what we can do to stop this okay. and, and prevent this mm-hmm. and so one of the things that i heard about it is that with all this power that they're taking and stuff they can't even slowly digress into this you know they kind of you know they can only go so slowly until they hit a roadblock and can't do any more and stuff so what they were talking about is you know they need a big boom to push everybody into what the this globalization effort. And so what they mean is this big, huge fear that they smack down unexpectedly in people. And, you know, honestly, I think a lot of people aren't going to be surprised by it. Um, uh-huh. I don't want to say quite they do expect it, but I think they are going to be prepared for it in the aspect of knowing that it's probably coming. But one of the things that we could do to prepare for it in the – events of not letting them get control is our reaction to it. Because like with COVID, 
A lot mm-hmm. of people were scared. Everybody just submitted immediately. Well, not everybody. There were some. <laughs> not everybody. But, not on this show. <laughs> in fact, we were one of the earliest people objecting to I'll tell you that story in a bit because COVID is fascinating as a study of, of human nature. Uh, and as a study of, of uh, you know, life-changing events for, for our country, COVID is fascinating. So go ahead. Tell me what you think. And then uh, I got some ideas and questions. Yeah. So whenever this next flood comes or whatever they're trying to do to submit us into fear, what mm-hmm. we have to do is obviously go from what I learned now and try and figure out everything that they're doing and everything that they're wanting and mm-hmm. kind of merge all these ideas to try and figure out different avenues of what they're going to be doing. Then we have to prepare for our reaction because whatever our reaction is, it has to be in retaliation, not to whatever event is happening, but to their control. And whatever we have to do, we have to make sure we don't submit to them taking it and that we can keep our freedoms. And we have to influence everybody else to understand what's going on and to also stand up to it in whatever way that may be. And it could be a bunch of different things depending on what they have. And Uh it's a good thing that you have Action Radio um, with the citizen legislature because I think the biggest thing right now, instead of – like all these distractions and craziness in the lawmaking, the first thing that we need to do, in my opinion, is, you know, of course, the debt's an extremely terrifying thing because if whoever has your debt is in control of you, um, mm-hmm. the uh, debtors enslaved by the lender, the, yeah, well, it's something like that. What's that again? You, you sort of got quiet there for a second. Oh, I was trying to figure out the wording of the quote from the Bible about the debtors okay. being safe to wonder. Yeah. Um, um, so with that, obviously, that's one of the biggest problems I think we have. But also right now, Americans need their freedoms back. And so with mm-hmm. citizen legislature and things, well, what we would need to push for is to restore all those freedoms that were taken away from us. You know, give ourselves more and more freedoms, take less control from the federal, or give the less, give the federal government less control than they have now. Take it away, kind of uh, switch the power balance right now. Like I, I had just written a paper, and you know, it's about like how the bureaucracy has kind of leveled into how they now have control, where they used to mm-hmm. not have a control, because there used to only be three agencies. So, you know, if we can shift back that power, I think that can also largely help us from whatever influence they're going to be bringing. In that case, we'll be better equipped, better prepared, better able to fight something off, because obviously the federal government. Um, is not going to be helping us out and securing our freedoms like they're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think of action radio as much more proactive than reactive. And I think most people, uh, including what you talked about, and it's not a judgment. It's just, I think this is, this is natural based on, uh, on the sort of conditioning and, and the experience so far is that COVID there's mostly a reaction to COVID. Um, but I think with action radio, the difference with us and why people are having trouble sort of understanding and accepting and, and using what we do here is that we are so proactive. So my response to COVID um, when it first came out, well, here's the timeline real quick. So February 25th, this is way back. We're in the beginning. So, so January, the end of January is when Trump had the, the China European travel ban. That was the very first thing he did. Uh, in February, February 25th, we had Bill Gertz. 
who was the national security correspondent for the Washington Times. Uh, my friend, Dr. Peter Pry, was friends of his, and he got him on the show. And so that's how we got Bill Gertz. Bill, two days later, I wrote a bill, um, which I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you in a little bit here, um, that said that Congress can only spend half the money on vaccines. The other half has to be spent on early treatments since early treatments work. And the virus is here. And we, uh, there's no point in waiting 15 years for a vaccine when the virus is right here right now and we have the treatments to stop it. So there is no pandemic. That's what I said in, in, in the bill. I also said this is probably a bioweapon. Uh, it's nothing more than a flu bug. And this is February 25th, 27th. This is, this is weeks before the 15 days to slow the spread. So we were literally light years ahead of everybody here. March 2nd, I come out with a show with other people on talking about uh, chloroquine and elderberries and early treatments and other things. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I call it chloroquine in those days because I didn't know. I'm thinking like quinine water. Anyway, so then I learned about hydroxychloroquine. Then I learned about uh, uh, Dr. Didier Roth. And then uh, Dr. Zelenko became a friend of mine when he was introduced to me um, by another person, uh, a mutual friend. And so we were way, way, way out in front. In fact, we're coming up on March 31st, the two-year anniversary uh, of our bill to put full product liability on vaccine makers. And I think uh, June is the two-year anniversary of our bill that would end big tech censorship. Now, what's staggering to me is that nobody's picked up on this. Um, that we have these bills out there, and I've sent them to members of Congress, I've sent them to media, I've sent them to everybody, you know, half the Substack crew that, that writes, you know, articles with huge audiences, and then they don't pick up on it. It's like they're almost uh, afraid to go into proactive mode. They're much happier being in reactive mode. You know, there was uh, resist the vaccine, resist this, you know, go to the school board meetings, complain about what they're doing. But the, the biggest gap in conservatives and patriots and advocates that I see is that they're, they're stuck in reactive mode and they don't know how to go in proactive mode, even though we've shown the way. We know how to be in proactive mode. We are nothing but proactive here at Action Radio. That's what all this legislation is about, is, is creating a situation of freedom before they can take it away. And yet the message, there's a block. There's somehow I can't get that message out to people to switch them from reactive to proactive. Yeah, I understand. And I understand that also what I was saying about this, too. You know, I think that comes mm-hmm. with more than that of, you know, being reactive of things and proactive of things. Um, but with somebody, I mean, with the our own government, you know, in your citizen legislature, we do have the ability to make these changes thoroughly Uh and so one of the things i think whenever you realize like what's happening you have to start going to different avenues and appealing to people to you know be proactive convince them that you know they can make a change they do have a power because right now most reason that people don't vote most reason and the most common reason people say they don't want to get involved most common reason people don't like politics is because they think they have no power in it, that they can't do anything mm-hmm. and that you know, it will affect them without their say. And yeah. if you can convince them, if you can be persuasive enough just just to focus on that part right there, and if you can show them examples of how they personally can change it, then they might be more like, oh, wait, I can do something. And then whenever you release this proactive idea, they'll mm-hmm. want to do it because they realize that they can. They can actually do something. Because so I think that's like a natural drive in humans is, you know, doing something or, or working. Or, or, um, yeah, but not being the first <laughs> is another natural you know, drive. No, being effective in something. Yeah. It's like there's a saying, nothing succeeds like success. So people are waiting. They say, well, you know, you haven't passed any bills yet. I'm not going to join you until you pass bills. And I'm saying, well, that's the catch 22. I can't pass bills until you join us. <laughs> you know, I can't do what we, I know we can do here 
until more and more people get involved. And I'm talking millions, you know, and just submitting the link to a bill, you know, like they would pay an automatic, you know, bill pay, but send a, a legislative bill link to a member of Congress or a member of media. That's all it takes. And the more people that do that, the more effective we're going to be. But th- th- this gap is missing because they're thinking, wow, you've never passed any bills. This isn't going to work. You know, and I, how do I convince people to go from that attitude to, well, I want to do this because I want to see it work. And then once we see some success, more people will join us. But that's the big hangup right now is that uh, people are waiting. They want something to be proven, but they aren't willing to, to help prove it themselves, even though they might you know, think that it might work or they, they like the ideas. So that's a block. Yeah, and I, I think that's another kind of, I think there's another kind of roadblock, roadblock with this globalization effort as well. But I mm-hmm. think it's in a different avenue. Like the roadblock that you have is with the people. And I think here it's the roadblock of the connection between the people and the globalists. Because okay. right now the globalists you know, they have so much power. They have so much control. Where a lot of things, I'm not going to say everything because they do hide quite a bit, but mm-hmm. they don't have to hide everything. There's a lot of things that they are just oh, sorry, saying openly now. And I think because, you know, they don't have that fear. They don't have that fear of retribution from people. They think they have so much power. They have no accountability. And I think I've talked about this before of, of no accountability. And I think that mm-hmm. contributes to how they can actually take their derangement so far. And, you know, honestly, the more and more I learn of this, I actually think they might have become psychopaths. Because, you know, only a psychopath could think about murdering millions of people. I mean, also, even for the name of population control, because they were having mm-hmm. supposed population problems and overcrowding in ancient civilizations when there was barely anybody on this earth. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that that idea, I just, I don't see how you can actually, you know, get on board with something. I mean, I understand, you know, you have to manage, you know, resources with your communities, but, I mean, I don't actually... From what I have learned, I don't think that that will happen at all. Like, I don't even see that as a possibility of happening. Um, oh, that actually takes me to another – it's made me think of it. When I was listening uh-huh. to, I think, some British guy, and he was – and he made, like, an extremely good point. And, you know, it. whenever he was talking about it, it reminded me of something else that I had heard from somewhere else. I didn't remember where the other place was. But it was about – you know, poor people don't care what the environment is like for the rest of the world. You know, they don't care about, like, how beautiful their garden looks. And they're talking about only the rich people care about that because the rich people, you know, they have the ability, they have the time, they have the means to care. They have the means to, you know, make their house look pretty. They have the means to go and find a problem out there that they need to solve. And then they think that everybody else should be forced into solving the problem. That's whatever they choose as long as they think that it's a problem. Well, poor people, the climate's not a problem. You know, Mm -hmm. finding food to eat is a problem. You know, using an actual toilet is impossible. And so, you know, there's a lot of those communities out there that aren't affected like there by this and what they have is they have a lot of control they have a lot of poverty they have a lot of misery you know but guess what they're equal as their neighbor they're both dying in the dirt poor so you know it's interesting that the, yeah, sorry, uh, the free... a little deep there. no no this is good no don't worry about it no, you, you can you keep keep expanding your thoughts it's not a problem um 
And you don't have to have uh, qualifiers either. You know, sort of like I'm not quite sure or I haven't researched it totally or I might forget. Don't worry about it. Just just be bold. Just make your statements, and uh, we'll 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 see uh, see where how they fit. And of course, you know, your statements can also build. And this is what you'll find the more you do the show is that your statements build on each other as the weeks go by. Um, but uh, the whole idea of of poor people, you know, poor people have to worry about the next meal. They have to worry. Most people, you know, people that live paycheck to paycheck, as they say, have to worry about that next paycheck because all their expenses, all you know, so much money comes in, so much money goes out, and chance if they're lucky. They'll equalize. If they're really lucky, they'll have some extra. But if they're not lucky, they're going to go into debt. And most people are living in debt anyway. So, so that kind of makes all your decisions for you. So, so being free of debt is actually being free. So this is, why, this is part of the way that uh, people are controlled. But um, what you'll notice that I have found is that the freest societies not only have the most uh, prosperity, but they also have the cleanest environments. Freedom actually brings, brings a clean yeah. environment because with freedom comes ownership. Private property... Uh, private yeah. companies, private uh, organizations, you know, private homes are better cared for than public housing, public corporations, public, you know, government stuff. Uh, it's uh, unless the, the government agency is strictly regulated. But for the most part, you look at a socialist or a communist society, they're disgusting, you know, because the government doesn't care about pollution. They don't care about who dies. Here's a perfect example. Um, Chernobyl. Are you familiar with the, the nuclear accident Chernobyl? It's in the Ukraine. I know of it, but I don't know like much into it and what went into it. Okay. Do you know what made it? Well, so then you probably don't know what made it such a, a disaster. What it made it so so devastating? Did, did you ever talk about that? I'll tell um, you what why. I understand of it uh-huh. is that you know it's the nuclear power plant, and they tried to do more than they were capable of, and they weren't being cautious, and then the whole thing leaked, and there's chaos from there. That's what I've learned about it. So it's actually, it's actually yeah. Here's 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 the here's the simple solution about Chernobyl, as opposed to Three Mile Island, which was our nuclear accident here. Uh, in fact, I was in college during Three Mile Island, and because I was going to the University of Massachusetts, which was upwind, you know, in other words, of the of the Connecticut Valley, the Hudson Hudson Valley, where where Three Mile Island was, uh, we were all set to evacuate. You know, I had my bags packed. I was ready to go if the radiation ever headed my direction, but it didn't. And the reason it didn't was because American nuclear plants have what they call a containment vessel. They have, I don't know, it's 18 inches, three feet, six feet. I don't know how thick it is, but it's a concrete containment. And that concrete containment is, is there so that if it ever has an accident, all the radiation is contained within the concrete containment vessel. Russian nuclear plants, guess what, don't have that. Why? Because they don't care. Nobody's responsible if a Russian nuke melts down, you know, emits huge amounts of radiation uh, or, or, or kills hundreds of thousands or, or millions of people, you know, over time with cancer and everything else that happens because they're not liable for it. See, in a free society, you also have responsibility. Someone's responsible. Someone's liable. We have courts. We can hold power companies responsible. If they didn't have a containment vessel, they'd be on the they, – they'd a, go broke and, and they'd have, you know, be responsible for a huge amount of problems. Financially, they'd never recover. But with a containment vessel and with insurance, yeah. things that from a free society, then we're actually protected by the fact that we have freedom and we have liability. We can go after them if they act irresponsibly. You can't do that in a communist or a socialist country. That's why their nukes don't have containment vessels and ours do. That's essentially the difference. And I, think, I think you're generally right in your point of, you know, freedom is responsibility. Because mm-hmm. whenever you have that freedom, you have your ability to – pursue what you want, do what you want. You can make your own money 
You can, mm-hmm. you know, get your own food on your own. You know, you're not regulated in that. But guess what What you have with that? You have that responsibility. But now mm-hmm. you have the freedom. So you don't have somebody's finger pressing on you, forcing you to do something. But guess what? In order to eat, you are responsible to go and work and get money or go and work and grow your own food, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's also one of the proponents of prosperity, you know, is, you know, functioning in a society that way. And it's funny because a lot of conservatives now, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, I guess this topic in particular because I guess the power has, you know, become so centralized and so thumb pressing on them. What they want is they want to just get away from society completely. You know, they want to be contributing as little as possible of their money and time because they know that it's not going to benefit them anymore because it's not because we're not free anymore. And mm-hmm. so what they want is they want to go and just become completely self-sufficient where they don't need to, I guess, interact with the in society environment in any other way, you know, where they can grow their own food, they can have all of their own natural um, remedies and ways of life and stuff where they don't need to worry about, you know, coming back in, in unless it's like an extreme situation like surgery or something. You know, because they are able to, well, because I think that they are too worried about, you know, actually interacting within the economy and because it is something to worry about whenever you don't have your freedoms. It's huge. Um, Preppers and uh, I wrote down off the grid, the folks that uh, don't want to, uh, you know, be connected to the power or the, they want their, you know, or the sewer or the, the water. They want their own fresh water from a well. You know, they have their own septic system. They, they, they generate their own power, you know, and they grow their own food and, or they hunt their own food or probably both. You know, so those folks are a threat because they're independent. Independence is always a threat to those that want to control. So this is this is the age-old battle, those who want to control and those who want independence. The difference is that the people who want independence don't want control over other people. So the people who want control are always more dangerous because they don't want control over themselves. Yeah. If they only want to control over themselves, we'd be fine. They can control themselves, and they can live a strict and regimented life and just leave the rest of us alone. But you see, the free people don't, don't take control of the, of the controllers. And I think that might be part of the problem is that we have to think of ourselves. We have to control people through freedom. Freedom has to be taken. Freedom has, I mean, part of Action Radio, we are basically going to impose freedom on people. And I'm not going to say whether you like it or not, because that's not, that's not fair and that's <laughs> not true. But in a way, we are. We are heavily lobbying, debating, and, and uh, doing what we can to impose freedom. Because in order for us to be free, for you and me to be free, we really have to make everybody else free. You know, and the founders knew that, too. That's why they fought the war for independence, when one-third of the people were British loyalists um, and one-third of the people didn't care. So the war for independence was only fought by a third of the country. But they knew intrinsically that in order for them to be free, they had to make everybody else free, too, except for the loyalists that went up to Canada, which actually are my ancestors. It's kind of funny. That's, you know, being from Toronto, I did a little ancestry uh, uh, grave chasing and found out that uh, you know my my ancestors you know came over I guess across the United States and then said nope we're going to stay with the crown we're going to Canada where it's freezing cold hey Canada hey you want a Canadian accent hey well this is what it sounds like you know <laughs> so and I'm, I'm like you know my ancestors are like ah, sorry I'm an American you know and here I am fighting for freedom on a level that that no one's ever thought of before and all you folks are gathering around going yeah this is a great idea let's do this you know but but isn't but your ancestors think- would be disappointed in you. Well, that's not my problem. That's their problem. <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, I, I honor my ancestors, but I, I don't have to follow, you know, their, their political leanings. Otherwise, I'd still be in Canada, you know, being loyal to the crown of Prince Charles, who's now King Charles. 
Oh, please. Isn't King Charles a Spaniel? <laughs> they named the King of England after a dog. <laughs> That's kind of funny when I think about it. But isn't it true, though, that if we're truly going to be free, we really have to impose freedom on the whole country in a nice way, in a benevolent way, but still. And, in, and are we not, in that same way, controllers ourselves, but we're the good guys? <laughs> so so how, do we, how do we control through freedom as a virtue compared to those who control through tyranny? Or do we say to ourselves, we're the good guys? We're the ones doing the right thing because freedom is the natural state of, of, of human beings. Everybody wants to be free. So therefore, you know, a belief in God, a belief in freedom, which go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, um, that we literally have to, through citizen legislation, impose freedom on those who would take it away from us. And that's okay. What do you think? Well, I don't think imposing freedom or pushing this is actually control um, because, okay. you know, if you can get enough people to come and support it and pass this legislation to restore their own freedoms, then mm-hmm. basically it's kind of like, you know, the same theory of like sin by omission. You know, it's, well, you got more freedom by omission. If you didn't want freedom, then you should have like voted against it or lobbied against it, you know, because you were, because I mean, if you look back, you know, Americans, like over time, we have, been less and less involved within the political system Mm -hmm. and you know and I'm I'm not just mean like keeping up with what's happening I mean actually you know interacting in it voting in it doing what you're doing is exactly what we're intended to do but I can't think of a time where anybody actually did what you are doing yeah I can think of like special interest groups wanting to propose things but you know that's as far as Mm -hmm. that goes and so you know, that liability is on the people as much as we want to blame government. And, you know, government mm-hmm. is not fault because, you know, of course, they have done the evil deed. But also right. we have contributed and we have fueled that fire by allowing them to. And so I think it's also the same idea for this. I don't think it's control. If they have the ability to stay under somebody's control and not have freedom. They have the ability to go and fight to stay unfree you know they they have that choice they have that ability but they didn't want to and they didn't mm-hmm. so you know i don't see, see that much as control in that aspect okay and i feel better now good thank you like, <laughs> i wonder about things like that when i start something you know because i've been working on action radio since 2014 that's when i initially had the idea for a for a revolutionary kind of talk show in fact i didn't, I hadn't even thought of the citizen legislature yet that came about a year or two later i'm not sure how how it developed but it developed it, this is this has been an evolving yeah. process um for quite a while or our netherlands uh um Texter at the at the live chat uh, has just checked in, so uh, we know we're being heard in, in, in the Netherlands right now too, which is kind of cool. So Sinai seventy seven, if you have a question for Brianna, feel free to type it in. I'll, I'll relay it um, at this point. But uh, yeah, so people want freedom around the world. In fact, the the, the, the uh, he's, he's happy. Yeah, with and it. I actually he's, have. Yeah, he says we I got only sound, have like so a couple good. of minutes. Okay, that's fine. Well, why don't you I only have a couple minutes, then, but, but I want to yeah. actually relate something that I think we were talking about earlier, and then like just now. But mm-hmm. it's about COVID in China and the okay. communists. So what I what I learned about it is, you know, because people are always asking, you know, why on earth would China do this? It affects their own people. It, it affects their own economy. Like, can it really, like, just be for this control? Why on earth would they even want to control like this? I mean, what good does it do for them? I mean, does it give them any more power than they already have? And mm-hmm. so what good I figured question. out is, you know, part of their belief system of these leaders is about, you know, rejuvenating organs 
to be, you know, their tip-top shape because they feel like the organs, like, you know, fuel their body and, and keep everything up. And so they get organ transplants constantly, a lot of organ transplants. It has to be the rich because the regular folks couldn't afford it. was absolutely ridiculous. I cannot yeah. believe that they did that. I mean, do you know how much pain that must, how painful that must be in to do so many transplants, you know? I mean, year after year, I can't even, I don't know, I don't know. But supposedly with that, you have to take this anti-rejection med so that your organ right. doesn't reject you. Mm-hmm. And, with and you have that to get it from somebody else. Comes See, a this is something I didn't know about. immune a- system. Yeah, I bet you, Brianna, uh, I bet you, oh, Jesse, she's online. She might know about this too. Um, but uh, I, you know, I'll be quick because I know you have to go. Um, but uh, this is this makes now. What we did know is that the the Chinese, the Communist Party, was harvesting organs from their prisoners, the political prisoners, the Uyghurs, everybody you know under Chinese Tibetans, anybody under Chinese control uh, has their organs harvested. But what I didn't know uh, until just now is that the Chinese are actually transplanting organs because they're, they're always trying for eternal youth. You look at some Asian medicine, you know, ground rhino horn is an aphrodisiac. Oh, come on, give me a break. Uh, you know, or, or you know, various uh, animal products, you know, tiger paws, whatever their shark fins, you know, all this kind of wacko. So their organs stuff. come from prisoners? Well, that's the, well, Let's get Josie online. She probably knows more about this than I do. But, yeah, they harvest organs in China. They take them. Josie, you know about this? Good morning. Yes. Good morning. What what they're doing in China that I heard, uh, anybody in prison, uh, they line them up in whatever Americans ordering or Europe on uh, any type of organs, they kill them and they sell the organs, special orders. And they're arresting a lot of people in the street over any little minor crime or anything, and they still harvest all their organs. That's what's going on in China right now. Yeah, but what Brianna's saying, which is interesting, is that the the people, they believe that they will live longer and better if they have new, fresh organs in their body. Is that what you're saying, Brianna, just to make sure I got the message right? Yeah, kind of. It's kind of like their belief system that they believe they they need all these new organs and stuff because their organs are like the lifetime to all, lifeline to all things, you know, good and prosperous within them. It's their fuel. Well, they just so stay healthy. Stop smoking. I mean, how many Asians smoke? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you do. Second, thing, get some exercise. Third, get rid of the stress. They wouldn't have to worry about it. Their organs would but take the, care of themselves. But they don't think of it that way. Yeah, well, the point of that, I, with the control, I don't think I got to, was that with all of their in their rejections meds, it breaks down their immune system, which makes them extremely susceptible oh. to this virus that they put out. And so in their own fear of their lives, because of what they had done to themselves, they don't care about putting anybody else in jeopardy. As long as they can stay alive, they can stay safe, they can stay well, and they can stay in control of everybody else, they don't care what happens. And so I think that would be why. They, I think that answers the question. Well, see if you can look into this further. I'd be interested to know if you know members of the Chinese Communist Party, in fact, Xi Jinping himself, have they had organ transplants and have they broken down their immune system? And does that make you know the Chinese elite much more susceptible to COVID because the drugs that allow uh, for new body organs from somebody else, um, the re- anti-rejection drugs, as you said, they have to lower the immune system. Otherwise, the body would reject them. And does that lowering of the immune system make them much more susceptible to COVID? I'd be curious to see what you find. So if you make a note, and uh, let's check it next week. Um, I, do you I have think, to go? I think 
Greg. Okay. Yes, Go ahead, I do. But I have, right, ben, I mean, let's get let's get your official sign off. You got your you got your sign off ready? Yeah, you can let Jesse go with that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do it for you. That was Brianna Cannon for Action Radio and the Government Inquiry Report. So there you go. That's cute. We'll work on that. Josie? Part of this pandemic, the people's heart is going to be injured. So because, you know, my girlfriend, she had a, a, a mini stroke and all that, and all of a sudden they're talking, uh, maybe you need heart transplant. And I'm like, she goes, what? You know, immediately. So maybe this is part of the agenda connected with China and the hospitals and all these criminals uh, to have people collapse with heart attacks and then they need a new heart. You know what I mean? I don't know. Or, or the kidney failures and all this stuff. It's just in the lungs. So all these well, well-organized criminals, I don't know what's going on. Well, let's explore this for a minute because I think this is interesting. And then I'll, I'll, I'll play a theme in a second here. But it, it seems to me that um, – this, this quest for eternal youth and eternal power, uh, if they're taking organs. Now, they take, I used to think they, taught, they took the organs that there were two of. In other words, you take a kidney, but you leave a kidney so the person would live. Uh, you can probably take a lung, although I'm sure that's difficult. But people survive on one lung. So if you're a Chinese Communist Party member, you would take the organs that there are two of. You know, but you only have one liver, but the liver actually rejects. So you could actually harvest part of it. We're getting kind of graphic here. Um, and then uh, the mm-hmm. liver, for the most part, grows back. And so I'm not sure how they do it, but uh, Brianna's point is really interesting. The only correction I would make or, yeah. or, or suggestion for Brianna um, is that the um, uh, China did not the, the the coronavirus did not start COVID didn't start in China. It started here. It started here with Dr. Fascist. It started here with Ralph Barrick. It started here with the, the CIA and the Defense Department. It started as a bioweapon. It was engineered here, and when they couldn't continue the work here, they moved it over to China. So China's being used as a scapegoat to cover for the true criminals uh, that are here. That's what I believe. So let me get to Josie's theme and we'll go launch into her report. And Brianna, thank thank you very much. Great discussion today. She started off as a poor child in Nicaragua, living under communism. And now she is a prosperous small businesswoman with a great family, living the dream as an American citizen. Josie Cossie knows all about both worlds, communism and freedom. She knows where your dreams can come alive and where they can die very quickly. And so her report is as much from experience as knowledge, and her passion and crusade are very real. With connections all over Central and South America, Josie brings you the world south of the U.S. border from personal experience, living, not just reporting, what's happening. And now, the Latina Report with Josie Coffey. Yeah, just to let you know, Good Brianna's morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, Brianna had to go. Dias. but uh, Buenos dias. We've got uh, yes. Cyanide77. That's spelled S-C-I-E-N-I-D-E. Uh, he's in the Netherlands. So we're, we've got a direct oh, yeah. Netherlands pipeline right now, which is kind of cool. So buenos oh, dias. Awesome. Como esta? Buenos dias. Sobre uta. Sobre uta. Bien, so that's bien. with you. Konnichiwa, yeah, Josie-san. That's pretty good, uh, I, I was listening to you guys a little bit while I was oh, she's brilliant. fixing my smoothies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is such yeah, a smart girl. person. So uh, illegals are coming through Canada now. They're fleeing. Uh, they don't even have to have visas to go to Canada, and they're uh-huh. coming through uh, the border. They're flying to Canada and coming through Canada to the United States. Same countries, uh, Mexico, believe- Honduras, Guatemala. 
the same places? From everywhere. From okay. everywhere. Yeah. Why is Canada lying? I noticed... What's, uh, what's there? Or they just don't want the illegals uh, themselves. They'd rather send them across our border. Well, they're just they're just making money with the families because there is a lot of families. They pay five to ten thousand dollars per person just to come here, and they mm-hmm. sell everything. They do anything that it takes to make it to America. Because you know, if if they leave their country and enter Mexico, they should be getting political asylum in Mexico. You know what I mean? Yep. And, mm-hmm. and or as soon as they get to Canada, they should ask for political asylum over there. But of course, they don't want that. They want to come to America because so what's the uh, difference? here's where they get freebies. But what's, what's the difference? The difference? Between, uh, well, well, think about this. Canada, you know, is still a Western democracy, as they say. It's a socialist country. It's got welfare. It's got health benefits. It's got, uh, you know, all kinds of freebies that they tax at a ridiculous rate. Why wouldn't you want to go to Canada if you're illegal? So you can not work in Canada uh, probably more easily than you can not work here. Why isn't Canada more attractive? Uh, maybe because of the language, maybe because they speak uh, French. Ma- no, but a lot of these people are Latino, you know. And uh, but they have the same. Oh, what, okay. What's happening? And it's colder too over there. And here they can go to Miami. They can yeah, go no anywhere kidding. in Orlando. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a little bit different. Uh, uh-huh. and, and a lot of them, they have family members here. A lot of family members are not in Canada. You know, no way. Uh-huh. Maybe a few, like my okay, girlfriend's cousin. My girlfriend's uh, her cousin is in Canada, and I haven't heard actually, but they already had her in handcuffs in the bed and all that because Canada is trying to steal everything that an older folks have in their possession and their social security. Everything they're trying to steal everything and kill them. That's the agenda of uh, this criminal uh, little Castro in uh, Canada. Yeah. yeah. So, and a lot of, I will say a lot of Latinos coming through, mm-hmm. they have left Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua. They don't want to go through communists, and that's what's going on in Canada, socialists. You well, know? It's, well, so it's maybe, not that different here. I mean, it's not as bad as Canada yet. I mean, we're not arresting priests no. like they did, and we're not doing some other things. We have, we have political prisoners. You know, we have political oppression. We have censorship. I know, but... We have, show trials, mock trials, we have censorship. We have most of the hallmarks of a, of a totalitarian society. We just don't have people being lined up and shot yet or being, you know, uh, mass no. amounts of people going to gulags. We don't have that. But, uh, yeah. you know, who's to say the way things are going? But uh, I will say, uh, even though we're going through storms and tribulation, the dark, dark times in America... It's still, mm-hmm. this is the best, best country in the world, believe it or not. Oh, absolutely. So, and and I, we also have the best yeah. potential so to fight off this here. tyranny. Yeah. Well, look at Action Radio. Mm-hmm. You know, where else could I set up um, a citizen legislature openly challenging the government at every possible level, local, state, and federal, mm-hmm. um, with a radio show that broadcasts worldwide? Where else could I do that? So, yeah. You still got freedom, but. They're, they've been trying to take it away a little bit at a time. Mm, and, uh, yeah. But we're not going to let that happen. We're no. not going to let that I'll happen. i tell what, though. I couldn't do this in California. I mean, I had to leave California to be able to do action radio. There's no way I could do this in the San Francisco mm-hmm. Bay Area. I would have been killed by now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would have won- I, w- I would have been lynched, you know, by the people that complain about lynching. Oh, I, you know. oh, absolutely. Oh, it wouldn't have taken long. Yeah. 
Yeah. Get the Bay Area leftists. That's crazy. Yeah, they can't stand freedom. So, so you know, you got to, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why I'm here. And you guys were talking. You guys were talking about vaccine and all that, and uh, mm-hmm. my husband made a comment when he was listening to you guys. He mm-hmm. said, "In any time, they will do liability. That liability, uh, they will stop giving vaccines because they don't want to be accountable of killing so many people." You know. Yeah, it's funny. So, that. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story about that real quick because there was a special on One American News with yeah, friends ahead. of ours from the show. Uh, Matt Gates is on. He's been on the show. He used to be on every week. You know, remember when I was back at WBY? He was a regular. You know, he was, you know, yeah. and two of my friends, David Trombley and uh, Captain Tom Stewart, both of whom are Marines and both of whom refused to take the COVID shot. Uh, and they were both on um, with uh, Neil McCabe on One American News. And this is their, their weekly investigative series. And they talked about everything except our bill on, on, vac- on, on vaccine liability. And I wrote them both. And in fact, I wrote mm-hmm. Matt Gates too. And I'm hoping to hear back at some point uh, from Representative Gates. But the whole point is that, and this is something people don't think about, once that liability passes, as soon as big pharma is liable for the vaccines, you will see the most immediate and the most enormous product recall in world history. Yeah. They'll recall all of them. And what they'll say is, we're not liable for anything um, before passage of the act or, or before signature of the act. So that's when they'll get everything off the shelves, and then you won't hear about it. But until then, yeah. they're going to do all the damage they can because they're responsible. They can't be held responsible for anything. Aren't they saying um, that the CDC is investigating because a lot of people are having stroke? Yeah, right. They created these vaccines. They know exactly what this vaccine is going to do to people, you know, so... Oh, the vaccine it's, spreads uh, COVID. It's horrible. See, so the vaccine is a marketing device. People forget that. It's a marketing device. The point of the vaccine mm-hmm. is to spread COVID because natural immunity stops COVID. COVID naturally was actually stopped by mid-July of 2020. But the whole reason for the vaccine mm-hmm. was well, the whole reason for the lockdowns and the masks and the oppression and the stress and, the, uh, and, and everything you know, up through suicides and drug addiction and everything else. The whole purpose of that I was know. to preserve COVID until the vaccines could spread COVID through the mutations. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So if they just left everything alone, if they'd done nothing, in fact, Trump was advised to do this. I'm guessing Peter Navarro and maybe Dr. Scott Atlas were the people that advised him. He says, don't do anything. It's a flu bug. It's going to go away, you yeah. know, in about eight to 10 weeks, like most viruses do. And it would have. I got the CDC chart proving that the COVID death rate was near yeah. zero uh, in uh, 2020, June, July of 2020. And then they brought it back. Yeah. Yeah. So marketing. You know, if the shot yep. that's designed to stop COVID actually gives you COVID, that's the perfect marketing device because then they can say, well, you haven't had enough shots yet if you're still getting COVID. You need more. And, and, and you know, Greg, <laughs> I, um, I went to bed very late last night reading a lot of comments, giving my, huh. my opinion of right. writing back in Spanish. I should hope so. I got into this Spanish thing about the vaccine. And, oh, my God. A lot of people are waking up, but a lot of them mm-hmm. are too late because yeah. they already got double boosters and everything. They're talking about oh, it. And uh, I put a lot of comments and all that. And one of the church members at my church, mm-hmm. uh, she collapsed. Had a, a stroke, and I believe she had a heart attack too. Oh, I'm so she sorry. Knew, she knew that uh, that the vaccines were killing her. She told a few people that she never, ever should have got the vaccine, and she regretted it. She said, the vaccines are killing me. Yeah. And, of course, they're coming up with some other blood disorder and some other stuff they're claiming. 
you know. Uh, it's like it's like the boy, uh, my girl, the her nine-year-old nephew went and got the children's vaccine, not the COVID. Secretary Hart said, oh, I think he's paralyzed because of he had COVID last year. They're full of it. Yeah. Completely, completely liars. Yeah. So now they're making up stories about this uh, person, woman, that died at my church. It was a huge funeral Saturday. Mm. Very sad. Because a lot of people in my church are vaccinated, a lot of them, and the word is getting around now that the vaccine. Maybe this is what have to take in in my church, so maybe they can do something about it, try to detox or whatever. But uh, my girlfriend sent me something yesterday. My Filipino girlfriend, she said, Doctor Peter McAllen is coming up with a solution to clean COVID inside your system. Have you heard about it? Uh, I've heard several things. Judy uh, Mikovits has said certain things. I don't know what the latest is. I think uh, no, Brian Artis has said things as well. Okay. Yeah. This is something new. I have to read it. It's a, she sent me a picture of the thing uh, that she's talking about. I don't know. but uh, And also I heard stuff about med beds and stuff like that. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, huh. Okay. That the health system and everything is going bye bye. The FBA, FBA, CIA going bye bye. Everything is going to be cleaned up, cleaned just like in El Salvador. They're cleaning house in El Salvador. And you know, I was thinking I made comments in some of the videos uh, from El Salvador uh, because there was about nine hundred homes that the uh, MS-13 taking over from people. Uh, mm-hmm. got him out of the home and they took over, you know, and people fled their home. So now the, the, the people are not there because most of those uh, people came illegally to this country or, or whatever they went, you know. Right. So the government now is, is giving homes to to people and everybody's like a huge team in El Salvador. I was watching another video. They're painting all buildings. They're cleaning the houses. They're cleaning the streets. I mean, they are doing major, major cleanup totally in, in El Salvador. It is hmm. very, very good what's happening. Are, are any countries yeah. trading with them? I, mean, I know we should, but we're not going to do it with a branded insurrection. They don't want freedom. But are any other countries, any no. uh, modern Western industrial countries trading with El Salvador and, and working with them to help them improve themselves? Or are they doing this all themselves? Uh, my opinion is that Trump is working with him. Yeah. See, that's what we were hoping so, for. Remember we talked about, we've talked about this a couple of times. That, yeah, you, I said think it, it like, you said it a couple of years ago. I yeah, like two it. years yeah. ago. I said mm-hmm. Trump needs to go to yeah. El Salvador, bring in industries yeah. from around the world uh, and the United he States, did. and they need to build this country up and show that any country can have freedom. See, this is the big myth. We should yeah. talk about this. Any South yeah, American, Central American country can be just as, as prosperous and free as the United States used to be 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is have freedom and reduce the corruption. Those are the two. Those are the two key elements to prosperity. You know, yeah. freedom plus being free of corruption equals you know prosperity. And if they're doing that in El Salvador, yeah. so is it now? Is the government still corrupt and the president's good, or is the president get you know basically getting rid of their deep state? Is he cleaning out all the the corrupt deadwood and replacing uh, uh, the, the it, bureaucrats it with decent like people? Yeah, it sounds like this president is good and he clean house and the government too. Because Love it. what was happening is the cartels and the MS-13 were in control of the country. 
And the same mm-hmm. thing is going on in uh, Honduras, Guatemala, yep. Mexico. The cartels and MSN and uh, some of the the terrorists from the Middle East are in control of Mexico right now. And that's oh, really? what they were doing in El Salvador. And uh, they're in fully control in Honduras right now because they're connected with Chavez, you know, the Hugo Chavez regime, Maduro right now, of course. The oh, president. okay. Because a lot of the drugs fly from Venezuela, from Colombia to Venezuela, from Venezuela to Honduras. So, and then they, they, they walk their way in through the border with Mexico. Yeah. So Mexico hmm. is the most corrupt, corrupt country, just like the Ukraine. And I'm sure President Trump will clean house in Mexico, too. How's he's he going to clean everything. How, how can he clean he's up Mexico? He's doing in El Salvador in the same okay. way he's doing in Ukraine. Oh, yeah. They're, they're draining the swamp worldwide. This is happening worldwide. How about Brazil? Oh, yeah. Is Bolsonaro uh, coming back that's to Brazil it. at all? Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's yeah. one of the key ones. But it's interesting that they always try and do that. So so have they tried to topple the, the uh, president? What's the name of the president in El Salvador? I need to do some research on him. Uh, it's, a, it's a Middle Eastern name. It's, oh, really? His name is N-A-Y-I-B. Nabib. Najib. Najib? They say Najib. 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 What's, what's his first name? Or is that his first name? And. That's his first name, N-A-Y-I-B as in boy, Najib Bukle. B-U-K-E-L-E. Najib Bukele. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember this from the middle. It actually sounds Persian, which, which would be interesting. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So now Persia is what we call Iran these days, folks. Um, but there, there are mm-hmm. Persians who, you know, had no use for the Shah and who had no use for the Ayatollahs. There are decent Persians, you know, mm-hmm. who yeah. escaped. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me. Now, how would he end up in El Salvador? What's this? What's the Hispanic connection for someone from Persia to get to El Salvador? Do you know? I'd be mm, curious. Don't you don't know, have to know. He just... looks very. He looks very Middle Eastern. Uh, like Gaddafi? He was put in place. <laughs> like Muammar Gaddafi? Yeah. yeah but he's a better good looking than Gaddafi. Gaddafi was ugly. But this guy, he's good looking. He has a beautiful, beautiful wife. Gorgeous wow. woman. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful couple. Yeah, gorgeous. And mm. uh, like doing a good job. And all the Spanish countries are like bragging, oh, we need him here. We need a president like him here in our country to clean this place. And yeah. Well, they can have it. So they just have to elect one to get past the corruption. Well, what's happening is uh, in the Spanish countries like Chile, I mean, they stole the election just like they did here. Right. The people did not vote for this criminal communist one. And the same thing in Colombia, the same thing in Mexico, the same thing in Brazil, you know. So, yeah, these people are stealing the election just like what they did here. So, well, supposedly Trump will be arrested, but I think they canceled the arrest. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. <laughs> What's the so? Tell me, tell me all the the the, the possibles, the pros and the cons. What, what have you heard? You know, from when you first heard that he might be arrested. What do you, what do you think is going to happen today? And I guess nothing's happened well, yet because I've been watching the news since I, I don't watch no. the news during the show. But you know, anything. What uh, are they going to arrest him for? There's nothing to arrest him for. They, they don't. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and. Uh, 
in 20, I think, I believe in 2017, mm-hmm. in the Q drop, was talking about about a big arrest, that it will shock the world. So all we can think maybe is President Trump. Uh, no, no, you got to arrest Biden for stealing the government. It. That's the that's the arrest I want. No, it's not going to be shocking to it's not going to be shocking to to arrest uh, Biden because he's guilty of all. But there's not <laughs> nothing against Trump. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. All we can think. My husband and I were talking and watching a special program that we watch uh, with our uh-huh. friends. Right. All we can think is maybe this is well organized to happen and it will happen, but I don't I don't think it will. Uh, to later on come and arrest Obama because, see, people will be enraged and burning the cities and everything if you come and, and arrest uh, Obama right now because he's a crook, he's a criminal, and he has done so much damage to this country. Mm-hmm. He's the one organizing the 100 million illegals to come in. He's the one uh, involved with this vaccine with Bill Gates, George Soros, uh, CDC, FDA, China, Spain, Italy, all these places uh, that they put their hands in this uh, little pie, big pie here, to kill yeah. Americans. The agenda is to kill Americans and mm-hmm. replace them with a lot of Spanish people coming in. Well, sure. You, you notice the they, never, they never push abortions on illegal aliens. You, you never hear there's no federal program for illegals coming into the country to have abortions simply because they want, no. uh, under, the, under the, the, the mistake that if you're born here to illegal aliens, you're a citizen, which isn't true, by the way. Uh, everybody believes that, yeah. um, but it, it's simply not true. The 14th Amendment specifically says that, you know, unless you're born to Americans, you're not American because it's citizenship jurisdiction. We've talked about that on the show forever. But that's not, i got to get Christine and Bob back on the show. I want to talk to her about that. Uh, but that's the best thing Trump could do would be to get the computer program set up to revoke the status of anybody who was granted citizenship by mistake. You know, we have to correct that, and they have to have the citizenship of their parents. That would include Kamala Harris and a bunch of other folks all the way through, as far back as the computers can go. Now, then the question of what do we do with these people, that's a different question. But if we can correct their citizenship to their parents and then all the descendants, because none of them are citizens either, you know, until they start, you know, coming to the country legally, that they have to, that they, they, they may achieve some kind of, you know, temporary living status here or something like that as they readapt to their country. Um, because this is, you know, but we have people here that are not here legally. They're not in the country. They have mm-hmm. no legal status. That's a huge problem. And we're talking millions of people, yeah. 30 to 50 million people potentially. But, you know, as Hillary Clinton said, nobody is above the law. So it doesn't matter oh, if there's yeah. 30 to 50 million people here illegally. None of them are above the law. And what that means is we need to correct their citizenship to the citizenship of their parents all the way up the chain. Mm -hmm. That's going to be huge. But that's what I want to talk to him about. If Trump can can start that process, we might actually have a have a country. We might have our country back. We will. Trust me, Mm -hmm. we will. He promised. Yeah, but but no one's talking about it yet. No one's you know, you don't hear about that. No one's talking about a, a, a census, a purely census for illegal aliens. We need to find out where they all are. And start documenting the undocumented. Nah, he, he he already has all that information. Oh no. Well, it's probably the IRS no, with no the ICIN number. It. Okay. All right. He's well, a, what do you think? He's going to have a massive arrest and deportation. Period. Yeah, he's but see, that's expensive. But that's expensive, Justin. It doesn't matter what it takes. Now wait a minute. We we can do it for free, though. All these Latino co- look. We can do it for free. All these millions of dollars. Right. 
to this mm-hmm. country. You use that money to ship them back. That's what we're going to Well, do. if they're sending millions of dollars, could we, if it's taken from the United States, can we consider that a theft? So any money sent out of the country by an illegal alien would be a theft. Now, there are records of all that money. There's international transactions, right? So that money can be traced by computer. That's why we have supercomputers. So can we not find yes. the illegal aliens for all the money they sent out of the country illegally and use that against them? And call that a debt yeah. to the United States. Okay. I, you know, that's yeah. what I would do. Okay. He, he has a plan, and I don't know which one it is, but they have a plan. Trust me. Well, see, oh, I yeah. tried to – I looked through Peter Navarro's book, which he sent me uh, before he came on the show last fall. So i got to get Peter Navarro uh-huh. back. He says they have a plan. Yeah. Now, I think deportations yeah. not only are expensive, they look bad. You know, I mean, they're necessary, but they look bad because the media is going to be all over. Look, they're rounding these people up. This is horrible. Whereas so see, my plan doesn't involve any government action other than taking all their assets. See, if you take the assets of the illegals or you threaten to take the assets of the illegals, they'll take their assets and leave. I mean, you know, you know the whole no, point of coming not, here is, is to leave. make money. They're not going to leave? No, they're not going to leave. They'll go to a friend's house. Somebody will open the doors so they can come in and sneak in. No. And we take their assets. No. You no. know, it's, it's like if someone hires a, an illegal That's alien, you can seize their company. Beg pardon? Well, when Trump takes, when Trump deports all them, they're going to lose all their assets anyway. So, you know, ev- everything that that they have will take over, you know, the, mm-hmm. the government. But it'd be uh, easier, so, it's easier if millions of people, you know, self-deport, leave themselves before they lose all their assets. That would be the better way. No. Mm, I, don't I know. know it would. Well, when Eisenhower... I don't think so. When Eisenhower started rounding up illegals and deporting them, millions more left because they didn't want to be rounded up and, and have their stuff taken. So the, 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 the effect of mm-hmm. once, the, once the roundups start, you know, depending on how, how big the, you know, this goes, but I think seizing the assets is the first step. Why would people come here if they're going to lose, you know, if they're not going to get the benefits and they're not going to get the money and they're not going to get anything? You know, I mean, that's the whole point. So you take away all the incentives for coming here. Which are not legal anyway. Well, it's a better life. It's a better life for them. It, it's just weird, but the dream of a Latino or, or a lot of people mm-hmm. from other countries, their dream is to come to America. I don't know why. Even though, like, this radical left uh, criminal terrorist, uh, or, or, uh, Omar, she hates America. Her dream was to come to America, even though she hates us with a passion. And she's, she's no good. She should have been arrested a long time ago. Her and her other... Uh, Ahashi, whatever, uh, I forgot her name. Oh, um, her brother she married? They, yeah. Well, here's, you, well, you actually just raised brother. a fascinating, yeah, you just raised a fascinating, fascinating question. Why do Latinos, Latinas come here, you know, seeking a better life when we are, like El Salvador has a better life? In fact, El Salvador has a, probably a better life for the average El Salvadorian than we have in our country simply because they're freer, more prosperous, and they don't have the, the, the socialist takeover, communist takeover that we have. So what if they have a well, – you know, do they have a better life in El Salvador or are they still working on it compared to the average American? Well, well, if this guy's cleaning house and, and now people can be in the street freely, uh, the lady in a little food corner can make tortillas and not be harassed by the cartels <laughs> or MS-13 because they were doing before, even the taxi drivers were like being blackmailed. Yeah. 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 Protection. They were they, they were being uh, kidnapped or kidnapped one other child. If now they don't pay, mm-hmm. uh, so I I believe some of the people from El Salvador will go back and forth. 
Uh, I personally know some people that they're building homes with all the little money that they're making here. They're sending all the money there to build their homes to be ready when they go back. So right. they have a plan, but not all of them, see. So, But the dream of people, not Americans, the dream is to come to America. I heard that oh. <clears throat> since I was a child. Well, let's talk about that. Because when I was in Canada, nobody talked about the dream of going to America. Nobody. And I was there until I was eight years old. When I was in Australia, nobody talked about the dream of going to the United States. I didn't know anything about this country when I showed up here other than what I'd seen in the movies, which is pretty horrendous. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about this country. I was just brought here. Now, my parents talked, my father especially talked about it. I remember when I was a kid in Australia, you know, I was in a good school. I was in a good private school. You know, I was getting an incredible mm-hmm. education, far better than any government school in Canada or the United States. I was, my, the best education I got was in Australia, by far, because it was a private school, not because, you know, not because it was Australia. But the private education was fabulous. Um, it was also the old English system. So we had a school uniform. You know, we ha- I got caned. <laughs> you know, the, the teachers wore black robes. Uh-huh. I mean, this was, this is old school, right? And yeah. it was a fabulous education. We were disciplined. They made me play sports. Uh, and in that discipline was freedom. And I, I, I did amazingly well uh, in that situation. But no one talked about coming to the United States. You know, the, my friends were, uh, the international friends were British, Indian, Persian, Samoan, uh, Japanese, New Zealand, and where else do people come from? Uh, a lot of places, but a lot, and, and a couple of Canadians. So, uh, and one American, no, two Americans. So only two American students. We thought they were kind of weird, actually, because <laughs> they, were, they were kind of different. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but my exposure to Americans was very limited before I came to this country. But nobody talks about that, that, that dream that everybody has to come to America. It just didn't exist. Well, now it does. I believe, you know, maybe, but, I yeah. believe uh-huh. that all those countries you just mentioned, they're well off. They're not poor, poor countries. Right. So a lot of people, they just come in vacation to America. Look at a lot of people from England. They come in vacation. They don't come to stay here. Uh, right. Now, well, that Ukrainian sense. people come, they want to stay here, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. totally different what countries are talking about the dream of being here in this country. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly most Central South America, uh, Brazil. There's a lot of Brazilians out here. They're like everywhere. Uh, and people from uh, some of the countries, poor countries like Ukraine and, and maybe Moldova, uh, those are the places like that. But I don't think uh, Europe, like Spain, they don't want to come here and live here. Mm-hmm. Now there's a few, but you don't hardly see people from Spain or from Argentina. Until the economy collapsed, they were fleeing this way in Chile because Chile was one of the richest countries uh, for a long time in Venezuela, after Venezuela, actually. Now you see so many people from Chile here in Pensacola. I was like, oh my God, I can imagine what Miami is look like. <laughs> and see, what happens is that the economy in Miami is so out of control. They're now, <clears throat> excuse me, now they're coming to little towns like Pensacola or Orlando, not big cities because uh, they cannot afford it. They really cannot afford to be in Miami, which they would love to be there. So now I have met like, three, four different families from uh, Chile and Argentina, one family from Argentina, in Venezuela, that guy that I led to Jesus. So 
they're coming to small towns. That's why our streets are seen now and a lot of accidents. Because I'm right there closer to the hospital. I hear the ambulance all the time now. It's like I feel like I'm back in Miami again. So, hmm. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I also wanted to mention to you, um, uh, President uh, Putin has rescued so many children from the uh, underground uh, in Ukraine, thousands of children that they were human trafficking. Right. Uh, they're being res- they're being rescued by uh, Putin, and those are for from parents uh, that left the country, couldn't get a hold of their kids or even teenagers or in school or whatever. Uh, and a lot of them are the trafficking children, trafficking a lot of them from Russia, from America, from all over the world. And now they're accusing that they want to arrest also Putin because. He's trafficking kids, and it's not true. It's all a lie, pure mm-hmm. lies. He's been rescuing uh, families in the Ukraine. Uh, there, I have seen video, and I understand some of what they're saying, and my girlfriend has translated for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he has rescued many families from Ukraine, almost being uh, ready to be murdered by Zelensky's uh, Nazis or military. And, uh, so here's people, a question. The people... Yeah. So Putin's Putin's no dummy. He knows about social media. He knows about the power of videos. Uh, he appears on videos fairly regularly. How come there isn't a Russian documentary in English uh, and maybe French and Spanish too, documenting this? How come they haven't you know told that story? I don't understand that. If, they, if, they, if they're doing well, the right thing, which I believe they are, then why aren't they telling yeah, that story yeah. to counter the propaganda against them? I mean, the, you know, they they're, they 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 have to be sophisticated enough to know how powerful social media and documentaries are they where's their video because they're blocking a lot of the videos uh youtube cnn will not talk about it msnbc even fox will not talk about it uh so the you can see some of these videos here and there in rumble or other uh, uh platforms but not the main media they will not report nothing like that I've been making a lot of comments on Twitter. Have you seen Uh, Russian videos about saving kids? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because that'd be a great thing to post on our international news uh, project, Action Radio International News page on on Facebook, because we should be documenting where we Mm -hmm. can, you know, Russian news. I I post uh, stories from TASS and from Pravda. Pravda is a Russian source that's Russian for truth. Uh, whether it is not, it's up to, you know, the readers to listen to and read. But uh, if we had some Russian videos, I mean, we need, that's part of the story that's not being told. And so if all you mm-hmm. hear about is how evil Putin is and we have to stop Putin and, and the real not. evil is Biden. Biden he's started not. the war by making Ukraine part of NATO. That's what started the war. Uh, you know, one of the territorial dispute. military, uh, retired military, he was saying that, that Ukraine is the start of the war, not Russia at all, he said. And uh, some of the Ukrainian people here in town, they don't even talk to me because I was telling them what was going on. They think I'm crazy, of course. I said, it's fine, whatever, including including my missionary leader that I travel with to the Ukraine. We're not talking. We haven't talked for six months. Well, what is it, four hmm. or five months? After the war started, I, I started finding out through uh, Laura uh, uh, Logan all the mm-hmm. stuff and other videos. And ex 
22 report tells you the truth about everything that is going on in the Ukraine. I can send you that when he first started reporting, uh, I think I sent it to you, uh, X-22, uh, when they started the war, and he, he, he was telling exactly all the areas where all the bioweapon labs were, were there. Well, oh, I've seen the there. map. Remember that interactive map I posted yeah. a while back? Yeah, yeah. I've still got that. I can, I can put that up any time. Most well, of the fighting is along the border. And most of the border fighting is, yeah. is the areas that are disputed that Russia is claiming as Russian territory. And the Ukrainians in that area are pretty happy to be Russian. The Donbass, Crimea, yeah. Yeah. that whole that whole southwest corner um, of Ukraine. Because Ukraine is a made-up country anyway. I don't know what it was before. Yeah. But, um, but originally it was part of Russia. In fact, but, you talked to Jonathan Mosley. Ukraine is the original Russia. I mean, Kiev is the original capital of Russia. It was part of Russia. Yeah. I don't know how it got carved into mm-hmm. Ukraine. But remember Dr. Peter Pry. Um, before he died, mm-hmm. uh, sp- did some shows. I still got the show. Talked about the six conditions yeah. Putin had to avoid war, and the number one condition was don't put Ukraine in NATO, you know, and don't yeah. put any other countries around Russia in NATO. And that's easy for us to to comply with or, or agree to, because we don't need them in NATO anyway. NATO is the North Atlantic. Yeah. That would be England, <laughs> Spain, Germany, France. That's about it, <laughs> you know. That's, Everybody, Italy, yeah. you know, that's the North Atlantic is, is basically, um, you know, those countries up north. But it's not Eastern Europe. It's not the Scandinavian countries. Oh, it probably could be the Scandinavian. But even then, I wouldn't include them in yeah. it. It was designed to stop the Russians from invading Western Europe. So you divide Europe into Western Europe and Eastern Europe. The Iron, remember the Iron Curtain that Churchill talked about? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it ran through from Poland. Uh, and Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, uh, Czechoslovakia at the Hungary. time, those countries, and it ran mm-hmm. through East Germany. That was the Iron Curtain. That was the border yep. that the Russian troops went to at the end of World War II. The Western Europe border was where the Allied troops, the British, the Americans, and the French. That's where we ended up. And that line, that stalemate line, halfway through Germany, with Poland to the east and, uh, you know, Belgium, Holland, and Denmark to the west, and, you know, those are the countries. NATO was designed to, to hold Russia at the Iron Curtain line. That was it. Yeah. Well, once yeah. Russia dissolved, yeah. there was no need for NATO because there was no Warsaw Pact well, anymore. So there's no reason for NATO. They should have just left and gone home. It's okay, Europe, you're on your own. Go back to war like you usually yeah. do. It's not our problem. I believe all this, uh, all this hate against Putin and all these wars going on, they all been created by our government for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's all well organized for a long time, Greg. All, all, all that has been happening. Uh, because when they bring all the soldiers in coffins, they're full of diamonds, uh, hashish, uh, all type of different drugs coming in the inside the coffins uh, one of mm-hmm. the the militaries was talking about in a video a while back i don't even know what video it was but they were exposing all this corruption well oliver north was bringing drugs for bill uh, clinton's in kansas when he was a governor and they were bringing him in the helicopters military so this has been going this this Drug trafficking has been going on for a long time, and child trafficking, adrenochrome with our government. That's exactly what's been happening. And once they get in office, they don't leave because they make all this money. They're fully protected with our military, helicopters, planes, you name it, you know. So why would they want to leave? They got millions. They're corrupt. 
Yeah, yeah it's funny. I'm not sure how much is going on now, but I remember the uh, there was a movie with uh, was it Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe uh, talked about the uh, the drug dealer in Manhattan. Uh, who was like one of the biggest drug dealers in America. And he's a black guy, so nobody could believe it. This is like 60s, 70s. Um, but uh, operated out of Harlem, and he brought drugs in in coffins. <laughs> you know? uh, and so the military was involved. They were getting paid off and uh, comes from the Golden yeah. Triangle, which is the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Laos-Cambodia-Vietnam border. Anyway, I made a mistake and said Holland instead of Netherlands. So I want to make that correction. I got corrected by Sinite 77 oh, okay. in, in, over, in, uh, over in Holland. Oh, he's got a website for me here. I'll... Uh, Check that out. So I actually take his website right off live chat and I put it onto my show notes and I can look at it later. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. So, so here's the question though. How much, how much drug stuff is coming into the country now? How much, um, are they still doing that? You know, they, the sources would be, you've got the, um, the opium poppies from the middle East. That's what Afghanistan is. Yeah. Fentanyl from China. You've got opium from, from Turkey and Afghanistan. Uh, you had heroin uh, coming in from, from Colombia. Uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. You had cocaine coming in from mm-hmm. Colombia. Those are like the main drug mm-hmm. sources. Now, how much of that is coming in by the military and how much is just being shipped in by the, by the cartels? I don't know. I think our government is personally bringing so much drugs to infect and kill our young people in our streets. They've been doing that for a long time. Well, how does that benefit them? Doomed, so what do they What do they get out of it, though, Josie? What, what does well, the military because, get out of bringing drugs? Because in? they don't They don't want them to know what's going on at all. Mm. So they got everybody hooked with the phone, hooked on drugs, hooked on all pornography. The pornography is out of control in America. Hmm. A lot of eleven year old kids are hooked. Eleven, twelve years old, even girls, young girls. You know, not boys. This is uh This is an addiction. Uh, including for uh, many Christian people, too. They get addicted, you know. They cannot get off the Internet uh, watching porn, and now they have it in the palm of their hand, you know. Mm. So it's an addiction so many. And, uh, and you know, I was at a wedding Saturday. Um, my girl that used to work for me, Christian girl, very good girl, uh, mm-hmm. she married this Christian young man. Uh, he's a chiropractor, I think. <clears throat> and there was a 12-year-old girl sitting next to me, and other kids have phone except her. And uh, and she seen me with my phone because I was taking pictures, and then I was viewing the pictures to share with some of the people around me. And she goes, I wish I had a phone. She goes, I said, how old are you? And she goes, 12. And I said, you don't have a phone? And she goes, no, my parents says when I turn 16, they'll buy me a phone. I said, you know what, sweetie? That's exactly what I did with my little girl. Mm-hmm. She was upset and kicking and just having a, a, a fit because I didn't get a phone for her. And uh, I gave her a walkie-talkie like those Nextel. Remember they used to use just a walkie-talkie oh, yeah. bar? And my daughter goes, I don't want that. Who am I going to talk with a walkie-talkie? My friends have phone. I said, well, I guess they're not. <laughs> so I encourage this little girl that her parents love her so much not to give her a phone. And that's mm. the problem that is American is facing. Little five, six, seven-year-old kids with a phone in their hands. Give me a break. They don't need a phone 
at all. No, they don't. But I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you who does no. need a phone. It's like when kids what, – what, what I had with my own daughter was like once she was doing things on her own with friends and things like that, and see, it used to be, you know, you always had to carry a dime in your pocket or a quarter so you could make a phone call. Exactly. You know, when we used to go bike riding mm-hmm. long trips, but a phone is really yeah. useful. Anytime kids are out on their own. So I can see giving a 12 year old a phone if they're, you know, they're traveling, bike riding, they're doing picnic stuff, they're out with their friends. Yeah, we never had a phone be... break. Well, I know we didn't, but, yeah. but they, see the technology exists now. So we were at risk, but I remember I used to bike ride to a really famous place, Walden Pond. So, you know, Henry David yeah. Thoreau, Walden Pond. Okay. So I lived in Lexington and I think it was, I don't know, it was like 10 miles or so. Maybe, you know, eight to 10 miles to Walden Pond in Lincoln. And so we'd bike ride these beautiful back roads. I mean, they're gorgeous. This is like the best of New England. And we'd all go uh-huh. swimming in Walden Pond. The water was just crystal clear, beautiful, completely unpolluted. You know, it was great water. So we all swam in Walden Pond. But they had a phone yeah. there. <laughs> you know, so if anything happened, they had lifeguards and they had a phone. But so we all, I don't know how, where we put our dimes. I guess you had like, you know, swimsuit pockets or something like that. But we used to bike ride. And if anything happened to us on a bike ride, I mean, there were phones along the way. So, you know, you, you, you may have to walk a mile, uh, which is not that bad, 15 minutes. But, uh, you know, you weren't stuck because we had phones. But there's no reason, I think, today with kids, now they've taken away all the phones. So you don't have those public phones anymore. No. So if kids want to go out I and do stuff. 12 years mm-hmm. old is too young, Greg. Too young. No way. They're, well, it depends. I, I would say Mm-mm. if you're traveling away from your parents with friends, if you're bike riding all day or things that we used to do, you know, as an emergency where it's only a phone, no social media, you know, uh, maybe weather, <laughs> you know, so it, it acts as a phone and weather, you know, if you get a simple phone, forget like a flip phone as an emergency, I don't think it's a bad idea. But as a general thing, just to sit all day on a phone. Well, here's another phone for you. No. When, when I was in when I was in high school, uh, I had a CB radio. In fact, we had a, like a CB radio club, and I, I couldn't have been. I think mm. I was like 15 when we started doing this. Maybe 14, 15, maybe even 14. Anyway, so uh, so my father and I put up this huge 5/8 wave antenna, and I had a, a 24, 25 channel CB. So it was like we had 19 for like the breaker, breaker trucker stuff. You know, looks like we got a convoy. <laughs> I yeah. remember Breaker, that. breaker, this is a rubber duck. We're going here. We're hauling out of Shaky Town here. We got ourselves mm-hmm. a truckload, and we got a bear in the air. Look at that. We got the Smokies on the freeway, and away hey, we go. Should, yeah. Hmm? You should drive a truck. It's not like a truck <laughs> I thought of it, actually. You know, if radio didn't work out, that was that was, uh, that was a possible uh, mm-hmm. profession, because at least it'd be on the open road doing fun stuff. But uh, no, fortunately, yeah. I, I was able to get my job here at WBY, and that sort of, you know, and I thought, well, I want to do radio anyway. But um, But truckers, you know, once we get the truckers listening in, um, here we go. He says, "Oh, cyanide from Netherlands." Says, "I had a President Lincoln when I was young." Well, you have to explain that. You know, do you have a President Lincoln in in the Netherlands? I don't, I don't know the history of the Netherlands. I know the Netherlands has a monarchy. So you would have had a prime minister there, I think. We'll find out. It's nice having a having Europe connection. I want to get the we need the we need the farm report too. I want to get the see how the farmers are doing over there. But um, but as far as communications, now we had CB radio. Did you ever have a CB radio? Well, you wouldn't because you, were, no. you weren't here when you were a teenager. That was for men. <laughs> that was for men? That was for boys. Yeah, That's that was for girls. We didn't care about no well, CB radio. Well, no. In, in Lexington, we had, we had girl CBers. And here's the weird thing. This is where it was fun because it was like a party yeah. line. So anybody who could be on the radio, we'd have like 10, 15. I think it was like mm-hmm. 25 of us who were regular. But there'd only be like, you know, four or five at any one time. But we had, uh, you know, young women and, and, and young men like me who were on. But we didn't tell who we were. So it was all anonymous. We all had our handles. Now, Sky King, because I was flying airplanes at the time. So everybody knew who I was. 
eventually. Um, mm-hmm. But so we, we all have these little handles. But we used to direct uh, truckers when they were lost. We'd, we'd, we'd get them from place to place. We did all kinds of cool things. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. we have fun when we were kids, you know. Now yeah. everything is sitting on your butt, watching TV, playing video games, wasting time in the computer, on your phone. It's an addiction. Yeah. I, I go grocery shopping, <clears throat> and, I, and I see women coming out of the grocery store, sitting in the car for a long time. I mean, I don't know, because when I enter the grocery store, I see them. They got out with the grocery cart in the car, and I come out, and they're still on the phone. Whatever they're doing, and and that's a waste of time as a parent. Yeah. And uh, it's it just they they arrive at my store, and a, a lot of times I'm about to have lunch, and I say, oh man, they're showing up right now, and I want to go eat, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm waiting and waiting, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm not eating. And then ten, fifteen minutes later, they get out of the car after they finish using their phone or whatever, you know. <laughs> but many of them, they come on. They come in in the store on the phone. They don't acknowledge that I exist. I say good morning. They don't even say hi. And in their mind, it's on the phone. And they go through all the racks, destroying the whole store. And I keep approaching them. Any special color I need to help you with? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll let you know in a minute. And meanwhile, they're like, it's like when you're on the phone, you cannot concentrate what you're doing. So I approach them a few times so they can stop destroying my store because I don't feel like rearranging everything again. So it, phones are a curse. They're good, but at the same time, they're a curse. And that's what I say. No, I can see that. But, yeah. um, I, I just got a, um, a live chat from, uh, from Sunday at 77 correcting that Holland is only part of the Netherlands. I didn't know this, right? So you've got Holland is Amsterdam, uh-huh. South Holland, Rotterdam, which is like the coastal areas. Then you've got Zealand, uh, North Brembant, you've got Gelderland, uh, Overusel, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing these horribly, Friesland, uh, and Drenthe, so, and uh, Groningen. So you've got one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight. You've got nine districts as well as Holland making up the Netherlands. I had no idea. That's interesting. The things mm-hmm. I find out. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Greg, I'm going to have to uh, go because I have to uh, – call one of my companies and uh, I have to get with a special order that they mess up for me So and they're texting me right now from Miami oh, no. the, the special order that they got so yeah <laughs> so God bless you and uh, <clears throat> anybody that needs uh, local honey I sell lots of honey in my store now that it's been cold we've been selling so much honey it's crazy and it's huh. local honey uh, it has most of the pollen we only filter it one time, which is delicious. And we're at Ruth Uniform Shops on Olive Road, Pensacola. Come and see us. Do you do mail order? So uh, can my folks and my friend in Holland get, excuse me, Netherlands? <laughs> there I go again. Um, no, that's too far. <laughs> too far? Okay, fine. So, so we're talking about uh, U.S. shipping. Do you ship around the U.S.? U.S. ship. Yeah, we, we ship some to Washington, Miami, uh, North Carolina. Huh? Okay. Uh, we have ships come in Texas. Yeah, different areas in the United States. So we need States. a uh, like a know, website or a phone number a or something heavy. for the store. What's that? Uh, it's eight five zero four seven eight seven seven five six. Well, hasta la vista, amigos. We'll see you next hasta week. Hasta la vista. And, uh, we, 
We'll see what happens if uh, Trump gets arrested. I believe they're going to. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? We'll, we'll check nah. it obviously tomorrow, but no, I don't think so either. My opinion is uh, it's all a show. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I don't think so. I okay. hope not, but my opinion is it's not unless they decided they need to do this to come and arrest Obama after. But that's. That would be the only yeah, thing. Yeah, they're not going to rest Well, they should, but, you know, not, well, they, uh, they, they won't do this and then. No, but, well, let's see what happens. Let's, uh, you know, I know your predictions. Yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting. <laughs> so let's, let's hope All they right. come true because now would be a good time. Thanks, Josie. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye now. There we go. So, so Josie at the Ruth's Uniform Shop, Pensacola. You can look that up. If you miss it, check the podcast. Um, that's where we have them. So, uh, so I got, uh, I still got sign at 77. Uh, I'm going to take a break now. So I'm going to write down my break time here. It is 8.56 in the morning here in the panhandle of Florida in the town of Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River, the historic district of Milton. And so uh, I'll be back in a little bit here. Um, we're going to talk about Waco. And this is something that is specifically not being talked about. Uh, I'm curious what Sinai 77 has to say about this, um, what he knows from, uh, from Europe, what they're going to think about this. But this is the 30th anniversary of the worst military, excuse me, of the worst, not military, but the worst government massacre uh, in U.S. history, as far as I know, is the 80-plus people that were killed at Waco simply because the government wanted to look you know, powerful and tough. Uh, and they, they get all these bogus excuses like, well, it's gun control. Or, you know, they're, they're, it's all statutory rape. They're having sex with underage girls. And that might have been the case, but you don't kill people over that. <laughs> okay? You don't kill people because they're, they're, they're buying firearms or they're, quote, stockpiling firearms. We have a right to keep and bear arms. Okay, it's not the guns that are the problem. It's how you use them. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that because the 30th anniversary uh, is April 19th, the massacre. That's when they were all killed in the fire and then bulldozed into the ground in a mass grave. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a holocaust, it's not big enough, but it's certainly a mini-massacre uh, of an entire community of people. And whether you agree or not with what they did, and what they did was, was yeah, probably a little crazy, okay? Uh, but you can be crazy in America. Uh, you have the freedom to be a little odd, uh, a little different, you know, a little, a little you know, uh, they would say the same thing about me at Action Radio, okay? Um, you know, say we get an action radio community, that'd be very interesting to see a bunch of activists all living together, you know, writing legislation, you know, lobbying and things like that. that this, this, actually, I want to start a Center for Citizen Legislation here in either Milton or Pensacola, but that's another story. All right, let me play a couple things for you guys and then uh, come back and we'll talk about uh, Waco in ways that you probably haven't heard um, before. So let's do that in a few minutes. Uh, I guess I'll be back in just a little bit here. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout 
W-Y-L, comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. We are back, and we're in news mode, so let's get to a news theme, and I'll be right back.
Yeah, let's get some articles off the wire and see what's there. Okay, first thing is I got a couple of websites from uh, Sinai 77 over in the Netherlands uh, in, in a place called Limburg, which is kind of interesting. So I asked about Limburger cheese, and apparently that's in Belgium. So he's got a first thing he sends me is uh, is a map of uh, where Holland is in the Netherlands. I didn't know, and so that's just one. That was kind of that was interesting to find out. And the second thing is a CB radio. <laughs> this is what it looks like here. Uh, so FM, AM, USB, LSB, and CW. So I guess that's a CB. Uh, that's what it looks like here anyway. So it's a, uh, oh, it's got the President Lincoln Radio. <laughs> he talks about having a President Radio. So a Citizens Band Free Band Export uh, Transceiver. Okay, there we go. So yeah, it's interesting. So CB's alive and well. I mean, the trackers still use it. Uh, I don't know if it's used so much in, in home because we have social media, we have cell phones, and we have, uh, which is basically the party line now. So people have a, have a need or want to be social. And so whereas in, in the old days they had the party line, in other words, you know, four or five people on the same phone line, everybody listening in, the nosy neighbors, right? Then we got to uh, CB radios where you could have any number of people um, talking on the same frequency. And so we all kind of found a frequency that nobody else was using around us. Uh, and 19 was the trucker frequency, so we kept that one free for them. Uh, and now we have social media. So it's the same stuff. People, are, you know, people don't change that much. It's really, uh, it's really quite interesting. All right, so let's get back to uh, some of the stuff that's going on here. So Waco. So there was a government massacre at Waco. Uh, a whole bunch of folks were killed. And all you hear is, is the government side of it. You know, the governments, you know, the, the, they were justified that the, these people were evil. They were cultists. They were having sex with young people. They were drug takers. They were, they had, they'd stockpiled guns and ammunition. They, they made fully automatic weapons, you know, much like the ones that were used against them by the government, you know, and you can make fully automatic weapons. You know, the fact that the, those are illegal by statute um, is, is kind of moot because they're legal by the Constitution. So fully automatic weapons are legal because they are weapons, because they are arms. And the Second Amendment says the government, you know, cannot touch uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. So they cannot touch our right to have fully automatic weapons. Now, can they, can they say something about how you use them? Sure. <laughs> you know, that's statutory law. But statutory law, statutory law statutes, laws are subordinate, are, you know, are under the Constitution. So the overriding supreme law of the land, the Constitution, says that the Second Amendment says that we have a right to keep and bear arms. We have a right to guns, including fully automatic ones, including all kinds of guns, swords, knives, you know, cannons, you name it. People even argue battleships. Okay, a little extreme, but, you know, <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> but basically, arms are what you can carry on your person. So what a, what a normal infantry soldier would have is, is the classic definition of arms. You know, in other words, weapons you can hold in your arms. Uh, not crew serve weapons like, you know, cannons and things like that. And I make that distinction, too. So when I think of keeping and bearing arms, I, I think about it as what I can personally carry. OK, bows, arrows, spears, you know, knives, swords, you know, things like that. Uh, guns, um, you know, from from derringers to uh, fully automatic uh, machine guns. Those are all arms. OK, anyway. Um, so the point is that the Second Amendment rules controls. The government cannot make a law against your right like, you know, they, can make against, they can make a law against your use, but they cannot make a law against your right. And people forget that. People forget that definition. So the Branch Davidians had every right under the Second Amendment to have machine guns. Now, did they, did they have the, uh, the legal ability to use them against people for no reason? No. Did they have the right to use them in self-defense against the government that was trying to kill them? Yes. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. In the same way that people brought guns to the, the land dispute with the Bundys. 
you know, when the Bureau of Land Management wanted to steal all their land and charge them horrendous amounts and, you know, put them in jail for decades and, you know, basically take their family uh, savings for, for decades and decades and generations. Did people have the right to show up there with guns and say, no, this isn't going to happen? Yes, they did. Did we have the right to go to Waco, you know, which I wanted to do at the time, uh, in an organized militia surrounding the FBI, ATF, KGB, and say, no, you cannot kill these people. You need to solve this peacefully. You need to go to trial if you have objections. If you, if, you, if you have evidence that these people have committed crimes, then they need to go to trial. They're, they're all holed up in this compound. Okay, fine. They're going to come out sometime. You know, it's not that justice had to be done that day. Besides, it was that bad, people would have left. They didn't leave. Oh, it's a cult, Greg. You know, it's different. Yeah, I'm sure it is different. I mean, I don't know, I don't know cult thinking and things like that. But the thing is, people have the right to make mistakes. They have the right to be stupid. They have the right to do all kinds of things. And the government has no business going in and killing an entire community just because they don't like them or because they want to make a, a big show of themselves. And the, the, I mean, Waco is called Operation Showtime. And the further um, tragedy of Waco is that nobody's talking about it except for a few people. The tragedy of Waco is that we do not go over this. The tragedy of Waco is that these people were killed by the government, by Bill Clinton, a Bill Clinton, Janet Reno massacre. And people who were there killing the Branch Davidians by punching holes in their building with tanks, filling it with a, a deadly CS gas that's incredibly flammable, never designed to be used inside. Janet Reno called it an irritant. Right. The poison gas. It says on the label, do not use inside. Do not use in concentrations greater than. You know, they did everything wrong. Even the warning label said don't do what they did. The fire got started possibly from pyrotechnic devices, possibly, possibly started intentionally by the FBI, ATF, KGB. We don't know because it was never investigated because the place was bulldozed into the ground. So the mass grave, uh, I don't know if it's a mass grave. Oh, I, I should check on that. But I know that everything was bulldozed. All the evidence was gotten rid of so that Bill Clinton would never have to pay for his crimes, nor would anybody else. We don't even know who was there. I can't even find out you know, who the leaders were. I'll, I'll, I'll look through articles. I want to find out and where they are now. How many people who were at Waco who killed the Branch Davidians, who murdered them with tanks and poison gas and fire are still serving in government as opposed to serving in prison? That's a good question. So let's start to go over it. Let me give you the timeline, and then I've got another article, and we'll see how much time we have for this today. You want to call in, feel free, 215-383-3832. If you want to hop on live chat and uh, comment, feel free. Uh, Sinai 77 is kind of monopolizing from the Netherlands, but he's there because he types in. Not that big a deal. So the website is Crime and Investigation. I think this might be a British website I heard, but I can't, I can't find a, a definitive uh, marking for where this is from. Maybe somewhere. We'll get to it as we go through it. But anyway, so the, the article is The Waco Siege, A Timeline of Tragedy. So this actually gives you, I'll tell you what, what I think is propaganda and what I think is, is genuinely accurate. Starts off before the United States, I don't even have an author here, it's just crime uh, and investigation. It says, before the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation, known as the FBI, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Tobacco and Firearms, known as the ATF, decided to lay siege to their gun-filled compound some 25 years ago. This is written uh, five years ago, obviously. And so, uh, let's see if I can find a date for you here. Probably 2017, I'm guessing, five years ago. This is well, 2018. It was written because it's 2023. Anyway, but that's what I say about five years ago. 
Uh, wait a minute, this is 25 years ago. Okay, there we go. Uh, it says uh, the ATF and the FBI decided to lay siege to their gun-filled compound. That's the Branch Davidians. Some 25 years ago, the wider world knew nothing of David Koresh or his loyal Branch Davidians. Once the standoff had reached its tragic conclusion, however, the group, or at least what was left of them, were headline news across the globe. First headline, the Waco siege. And the subsequent fire that devastated the modest complex that Koresh and his followers called home saw the deaths of some 86 people uh, in total, 17 of whom were children. Test the tragedy. Why'd they kill the kids? Right? They could have waited. They could have found another solution. Uh, David Koresh used to routinely go to the uh, sheriff of Waco when the sheriff called him and said, hey, David, we got a complaint. we got to check on this. Okay, fine. So all the, all the sheriff had to do was call up. If they wanted David Koresh, all the sheriff had to do was call him up and he would have come in. They didn't do that because they didn't want that. They, they, they wanted more time. They wanted to make a, a, a nationwide, uh, they wanted to show how tough the Clinton administration was. And you better give up your guns because Bill Clinton is going to do this to the Branch Davidians. He could do it to you too. I mean, that was the impression back in 1993. Article says, since the flames engulfed the Mount Carmel Center uh, in the central Texan city of Waco on that fateful day, debate has raged in all quarters about who was responsible for all the horror and death. Some folk will tell you that Koresh was a thoroughly evil cult leader who intentionally and cynically led his brainwashed minions to their untimely deaths, while others will argue that he was merely a well-meaning and principled pastor and that the government strong-armed them into violence. Whoever was at fault, this seemingly avoidable catastrophe is now forever indelibly seared into the minds of the American and world consciousness. Such was the scale of the calamity. Yeah, see... uh, it is seared into our consciousness because those of us who are alive remember it. The problem is it's not being talked about now, so people who weren't alive don't know anything about it. That's why I asked Brianna the questions I asked her earlier. Article says, we're not going to try to convince you on either point of view. In truth, there's probably a little right and wrong on both sides. What we can do, though, is give you a detailed breakdown of what happened in the buildup to, during, and after the truly awful events of the Waco siege. Starts off August 17th, 1959. Huh, the year I was born. Vernon Wayne Howell is born to a single 14-year-old mother in Houston, Texas. A troubled upbringing led the man who would become known as David Koresh to the church and eventually a path to death and destruction. Fast forward, 1982. After a brief spell with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Howell, that's the future David Koresh, would settle down with an, al- with an offshoot known as the Branch Davidians. So 1982. So this is 11 years before the siege in 1993. 1985, after a power struggle within the ranks, Howell takes over the church, claiming to have powers of prophecy and a direct line to God. Everybody says that. (laughs) He said the Lord has informed him to start putting together an army of God and to prepare for the end of days. August 5th, 1989, two years before the, uh, five years, let's see, four years, four years before uh, everything went crazy. August 5th, 1989, Howell declares that he has been told by God to procreate with all the women in the group and will need to split up married couples and have everyone agree that only he can engage in sexual activity with the women while the husbands will observe uh, total celibacy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you think any self-respecting man is going to go along with that, I right, go ahead, sleep with my wife, I'll watch. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be celibate. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty weak men in that organization. Again, they have the right to be nuts. I think that's nuts, but if that's what they believe, okay. Anyway, says Howell also declares that the Lord has informed him to start putting together an army of God and to prepare for the end of days and the salvation of his followers. In other words, yeah, the end of days, so the end times, you know, when everything gets destroyed uh, and they'll rise up and go to heaven. Okay. 
but you don't cause the end of times. That's not how it works. Anyway, August 28th, 1990, or we're just a couple of years out now, three years out, Vernon legally changes his name to David Koresh, professing himself to be the spiritual descendant of King David, hence David Koresh, and a messianic figure carrying out a divinely commissioned errand. May 1992, the year before, the local sheriff's department received a tip-off about possible statutory rapes being carried out at the complex by Koresh, in other words, sex with underage women. They are also told a stockpile of weapons is being built up by the congregation. They pass this information along to the ATF. Big mistake. Okay, I'm just telling you, that was a big mistake. You know, you, you handle it. Uh, you know, why would they do that to the ATF? The ATF is a horrible organization. You know, they're the ones that want to take the guns away. Uh, that, who's that guy, Chipman? Uh, Eric Chipman, I remember, was the name of this really strange character um, that was going to run uh, the ATF and who absolutely did not believe in private ownership of guns at all. So the government has all the guns, which what we call here the Second Amendment in reverse. Big problem. <laughs> so anyway, uh, anyway, so he says, and this is the next step, uh, February 28th, 1993. So now we're into it. Now this is when things really got going. First of all, I shouldn't have told the ATF. Local sheriff could have handled it. The county sheriff could have handled it. The state police could have handled it. The attorney general could have handled it. Anybody could have handled it uh, within Texas. They didn't have to go outside Texas to solve this problem. That was the big mistake. February 28, 1993, having built up a case against the leader of the Branch Davidians, the ATF attempts to raid Mount Carmel. That was where they had their, uh, their um, residence, or some people call the compound, just to make it sound bad. So that was Mount Carmel. So, they, so, so having built up a case against the leader of the Branch Davidians, the ATF attempts to raid Mount Carmel. They approach with the intention of searching the premises fully and arresting David Koresh. But an accidental warning from a TV cameraman, yeah, some accident, right, makes its way to senior Davidians who have time to anticipate the raid. To the ATF's shock, they meet their approach with gunfire. Four feds die in the gun battle, along with six Davidians. Over a dozen others, including Koresh himself, are injured. Yeah, some peaceful operation serving a search warrant, right? March 1st, 1993, having retreated the day before, the ATF Surrender, com- surrender the ATF Surrender Command, oh, there we are, that was compound, surrender, surrender Command to the FBI. So the ATF was there initially. What does the ATF do? I mean, their, their job is, is, you know, gun registration, paperwork checks, and, you know, uh, explosive stuff and things like that, you know, alcohol, uh, <clears throat> they do alcohol, so they regulate booze, you know, tobacco, they regulate cigarettes, uh, and firearms. They regulate guns, supposedly. <clears throat> I don't say they do anything good. Uh, I don't know what the ATF is for, but to me, it's, it's, it's a duplicative, wasted you know, agency that could easily be handled um, by the states individually. Uh, let's get back to uh, the, the timeline. March 1st, 1993, having re- uh, retreated the day before, the ATF surrender command to the FBI, who begin negotiations. Straight away, they secured the release of 10 children from the compound. See, the siege has begun. It would last another 51 days. 51, try and mention 51 days with the FBI outside your door, with tanks, with loud music, with uh, uh, sounds of chickens being killed, you know, all the other stuff they had there. That's what was going on. Right? March 2nd, 1993, this is the day after. Koresh promises to surrender if a special video message he has recorded is televised. The FBI agrees, and the tape is broadcast on the Christian Broadcast Network almost immediately. Koresh, however, goes back on his word. He now claims God is telling him not to give up. March 7th, so now we're five days later. 1993. During negotiations, Koresh informs the authorities that all remaining children are biologically his and as such would be remaining with him inside Mount Carmel. That's kind of weird in itself. 
March 9th, 1993, two days later, the electricity is cut to the compound, but is later restored after some bargaining and promises from Koresh. March 12th, 1993, four days, you know, five days later, nine, three days later. <laughs> uh, further discussions break down, so the FBI decides to cut off electricity permanently. Isn't that special? So they had, they, they had no electricity for over a month, right? And that's going to be conducive to surrendering? No. It's going to create a panic, and people are just going to get progressively more upset. But that's what they did, right? They said it's part of a concerted effort to ratchet up the pressure on Koresh, which also includes bright spotlights beaming on the compound day and night. See, nobody got any sleep because of these brilliant spotlights. And to further irritate and underpin the sense of doom and powerlessness, the Davidians must feel loud music. Uh, It's also played to them uh, around the clock. So you got loud music, devastatingly loud music. I mean, jarring, upsetting loud music where you feel it. Uh, The sound waves are so strong that it's like rumbling your gut plus the spotlights that never stop. What would you think? I would think they were trying to kill me. If I was in that compound at that point or in that residence, you know, in that community, at that point with the FBI, CIA, FBI, KGB, ATF doing this, I think they were trying to kill me. You know, anyway, March 19th. So now we're a few days later. Over the weekend, federal negotiators managed to convince Koresh to allow eight women and two men to leave. Good. That's a good thing. Yeah, they all should have left. I mean, the ATF should have left and the, the FBI should have left. Defused it. Arrest them later. But Greg, but Greg, well, those, those young girls getting raped. That's an allegation. We don't know if it's true. If it's true, it's evil. If it's not true, it's a false accusation. But you've got to establish which before you race in. That's just how it works. March 19th, 20 to 21st, 1993, over the weekend, federal negotiators managed to convince Koresh to allow eight women and two men to leave. I already said that. Apologize. April 5th, one of the final month, 1993. The Branch Davidians promised to give themselves up after observing Passover, asking for a period of up to eight days' grace. April 12, 1993. We're getting closer. In anticipation of Koresh reneging on the, on the Passover deal, the FBI applied in writing to the U.S. Attorney Janet Reno, oh yeah, for permission to use tear gas on the compound. She refuses to allow it initially, but soon she changes her mind. Or somebody changed it for her. That's, that's a question I have. 18th of April, 1993, the day before. The FBI prepared to enter Mount Carmel and make arrests by force. I guess they call that a breach. Uh, Reno approves the CS gas plan and lets sign off on the plan uh, and gets sign off on the plan from President Bill Clinton. Which brings us to April 19th, 1993. It's day 51 of the siege and the FBI decide to storm the complex. They inform Koresh that he is under arrest and for everyone to prepare for a tear gas attack attack. They gas the buildings. Gunfire rains out, but not at federal agents, it seems. It's feared that some Branch Davidians inside have shot dead. Feds then see a small fire being lit, then another, then another. More gunfire. Uh, Nine Davidians flee and are arrested. There's more gunfire from inside. Firefighters attempt to put out the blaze. A huge explosion rings out. The roof collapses in on itself. More explanations. Eventually, the fire dies down. Later that day, the compound is completely leveled. The FBI confirms that Koresh was dead, like so many of his devout followers. I don't believe any of that. <laughs> I think it's a bunch of cover-up BS. Let's start over again and tell you what I think happened. It's day 51 of the siege, and the FBI decided to storm the complex. Why? Because they were pressured to by Bill Clinton and everybody else. Get this over with. I remember the overwhelming feeling from everybody who commentated on the news or made a comment on the news. Get this over with. You know, storm these people. Stop this nonsense. And my thing was, what's the rush? You know, pull back. Let it diffuse. 
They're going to come out, arrest them individually. What's the rush? Well, the rush was they didn't want to look bad, and they were looking bad. Next sentence. They informed Koresh that he is under arrest and for everyone to prepare for a tear gas attack. They said he was under arrest at the beginning. That was the whole thing. <laughs> that was the, the initial raid was for 51 days previously. All right. A tear gas attack? Why are you going to attack a bunch of people? Who's guilty? If you're, if you're going to do a tear gas attack on the Branch Davidians, you have to be attacking the victims. If you believe there are victims of statutory rape and there are victims of, of David Koresh and all these victims in there, why would you put a tear gas attack on everybody? Unless you believe they're all guilty, right? It says they gas the buildings. Gunfire rains out, but not at federal agents. It seems it's feared that some Branch Davidians inside have been shot dead. I could that. Um, show me the autopsies. <laughs> show me, uh, show me the, the, the people who died uh, from gunshot wounds. Tell me they're not FBI guns. I don't believe that. I think they were either shot by, uh, they're probably shot by the FBI from snipers. They had a bunch of snipers there. Lon Horiuchi, the sniper that killed Randy Weaver, uh, or actually killed Randy Weaver's wife, Vicki Weaver, and his son. Him. He was there at Waco. He's a pretty good shot, apparently. He's really good at killing women and children. So, yeah, but he was there. So when they talk about gunfire, you know, uh, not coming, from, you know, from the FBI, uh, I don't think so. Here's another one. Um, feds then see a small fire being lit. Why would anybody light a fire inside a flammable building with the, the holes punched in it and a poison gas there? That's the last thing you'd ever do. Now, I think it's FBI pyrotechnics. They actually set the fire. They sent in, they put in the poison gas. They knew it was flammable. They put in the, pyro, they put in the, the, the pyrotechnics to actually catch fire and destroy the building. That's what I think happened because they were tired of waiting and they were told to do something. And that's what they did. And whether they believed it was going to kill everybody or not, they set the conditions for all those people to die. So they're responsible. Then it says, then another, then another. More gunfire. Nine Davidians flee and are arrested. Yeah, of course they were. There's more gunfire from the inside. Firefighters attempt to put out the blaze. Really? I heard they didn't have water. I heard the fire trucks were woefully under, uh, did not have enough water, woefully undercharged with water, and there are no hookups. Or if there were hookups, they didn't use them. I heard the fire trucks are basically useless. So it says firefighters attempted to put out the blaze. I don't believe that for a second. It's not my memory at all. Another one, a huge explosion rings out. Well, that makes sense. The roof collapses in on itself, more explosions. Eventually, the fires die down. Yeah. Well, they burned out and everybody's dead inside, right? Later that day, they didn't go in right away. They could have rescued them. You know, if they, if they believed that the fire was, uh, you know, unintentional or, or caused by them or an accident or something like that, they would have rushed in to save those people. They never did. This is later that day. The compound is completely leveled. The FBI confirms that Koresh was dead, like so many of his devout followers. Well, how is the compound completely leveled? Well, they brought in bulldozers. They basically covered the place over, bulldozed it into the ground to cover the evidence of their crime. That's why they did it. 19th of April, 1993. Don't forget that day. 3rd of August, 1993. Seven months later, a jury returns guilty charges on a number of survivors for firearms charges and for aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. So where are the charges against the federal agents? Well, there aren't any. Where are the charges against Bill Clinton or Janet Reno? Where's the investigation? Well, there was an investigation, but it really wasn't an investigation. July 21st, 2000, Janet Reno Special Counsel, ex-Republican Senator John C. Danforth, issues his preliminary report into the tragedy. It wasn't a tragedy, it was a massacre. 
In it, he fully uh, exonerates the U.S. government and all its agents. What a surprise. A government senator investigates a government massacre and says that the massacre and says that the government was 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 fine. What they did was right. Exonerates all the U.S. government and all its agents. That's impossible. You cannot have the government kill 86 people and have nobody guilty of, of, of uh, absolutely anything. That's impossible. That, that, first of all, the fact that they were all killed, somebody's at least guilty of criminal negligence, negligent homicide, at least. That's the minimum charge that they all should have had for standing by and watching that place burn and not sending in the fire trucks. That's murder. But at least the very least charge they could possibly get is criminally negligent homicide, which does carry a jail term. Then it says the report comes to the conclusion that federal agents were not responsible for the fire or for directly discharging weapons at the complex. That's impossible to believe at all. How could they not be responsible for the fire? They brought in the tanks. They punched holes in the building to make it ventilate quickly. They pumped in a known, poisonous, incredibly flammable gas. They probably sent in pyrotechnic devices because I don't think the Branch Davidians had them. How can you say they didn't start the fire? Of course they started the fire. If they didn't start the fire, at least they started the conditions for the fire with the poison gas, the tanks, and uh, you know, punching holes in the building in the direction of the wind was blowing. Hmm. Gee, I wonder what that would have caused. Well, any spark in the building, any, any gas fire, any gas stove, any, anything could have started that fire. <sighs> Danforth also assigns total responsibility for the incident to David Koresh with the Branch Davidians. Of course he does, because they're all dead. They can't defend themselves. They can't come back and say, oh, no, this is what we did. This is what the government did. Watch the, the, the video, Waco, the Rules of Engagement. That'll tell you what happened. Wednesday, November 21st, 2018, Crime Investigation, which is this website, begins broadcasting the in-depth four-hour insight into the fascinating but heartbreaking devastation of the Waco siege, Waco, Messiah or Madman. Well, he was neither one. David Koresh was neither Jesus Christ nor insane. A little warped, a little crazy maybe, but, you know, was he insane? Madman? I don't think so. So that's, that's their version of it. Let me give you something else I found uh, interesting, too, here, and then I'll take a little break before uh, my last article. So the reason this is so prominent right now on Action Radio uh, is because Donald Trump, President Trump, the real president, the person who should be in the White House, is going to uh, Waco this Saturday for a rally. Now, does anybody find it fascinating that Donald Trump is going to a rally this Saturday in Waco on the 30th anniversary of this government massacre, basically by the Democrats? This is a Democrat massacre. All right. Bill Clinton was in charge. So was Janet Reno. They were Democrats. This is a Democrat massacre. So a Republican president who should be in office, whose office was stolen by Democrats and Republicans of the deep state, is going to the very place 30 years later where the government committed an atrocity a war, you know, basically a crime against this country. And he's going to speak there. What do you think he's going to say? That's the big question. I'm dying to hear that speech. I, am just, I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm sorry, that's probably the wrong thing to say. But uh, I am very curious to see if Trump is going to take on the deep state, the murderous deep state, the war crime deep state, right there in Waco on the 30th anniversary of Bill Clinton's massacre and Janet Reno's massacre where they kill those people rather than arrest them and give them due process and a trial, which was their constitutional right. 
simply because they didn't like him. And it was Operation Showtime, and they wanted to prove something. So here's an article by David Badash. <laughs> bet you know, I bet you I know what you were called in school. B-A-D-A-S-H, David Badash, or Badash. I could say Badash. I think Badash sounds more impressive. March 18th, 2023. So we're talking three days ago. Experts warn Trump is encouraging violence, because they always say that about Trump, right? Even when he says peacefully protest, peacefully and patriotically protest, they say, well, he's encouraging violence. Yeah. This is, it says encourages the violence one day after he announces rally at Waco on 30th anniversary of siege. This is under the heading right-wing extremism. <laughs> So you know, you know the politics of this article, all right? And it's from, 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 New Civil Rights Movement, the NCRM. It's definitely a leftist publication, but I like reading leftist publications to tell me what the left is thinking. So David Badash says, early Friday evening, Donald Trump announced he would hold a campaign rally in Waco on March 25th, which falls during the 30th anniversary, they say it like it's a good thing, right, of the 51-day deadly siege in that Texas community. Barely more than 12 hours later, the one-term ex-president, that's wrong, he's a two-term president who had it stolen, uh, under at least four criminal investigations, which, of course, are all bogus, right, posted a statement that, that turns his liberal website, and what do you expect, right, posted in a statement that some, including legal experts, warn encouraging or inciting violence, or is a call for violence after claiming he will be arrested on Tuesday. Well, now it's Tuesday, so we're still waiting to see. But uh, the idea that President Trump is being accused of inciting violence at a place where the worst violence against an American religious community was ever committed. Don't they see the hypocrisy? Don't they see the problem? Don't they see how how dangerously, ignorantly stupid they are? No, of course not. (laughs) They think they're right. Article continues, for those who would like a refresher, in, yeah, yeah, a leftist refresher, right? In 1993, agents from the FBI and the ATF raided the headquarters of religious cult leader David Koresh. See, that's propaganda, right? And his branch Davidians, armed with warrants. I mean, not armed with warrants, you serve warrants. But they said armed with warrants. Federal agents targeted the compound searching for stockpiled firearms. Okay, well, if you have a warrant, you, you know, you don't have to target it. Um, and, and this, there's nothing wrong with stockpiling firearms. In other words, collecting firearms? Sure, that's okay. This is by the end of the standoff. What do you mean standoff? They were under siege. They, they, they surrounded the building with tanks and machine guns and uh, loud music and horrible sounds and, you know, big searchlights. It wasn't a standoff. It wasn't an equal situation. Branch Davidians weren't free to go. The FBI and the ATF were. They could, they, they, you know, they'd serve a week and then, then they'd go uh, on holiday. They had to be replenished and refreshed, as Jan Arena was fond of saying. Well, we have to have our, they have to be retrained, replenished, refreshed. Well, they, they, they serve for a week and they get time off. Branch Davidians were stuck in there for 51 days until they were killed. Since by the end of the standoff, four ATF agents and 82 Branch Davidians have been killed. Well, listen to that. Four ATF agents and 82 Branch Davidians. Hmm. Some standoff, right? That seems equal. Two years later, back to the article, the New York Times posted to right-wing reaction to that raid. Well, I guess that would be me. Uh, and to the Ruby C- Ridge siege and as the basis for Timothy McVeigh's bombing of the Alfred Primura Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh was an idiot. He never should have done that. But the government, I think, still think used it as an excuse to use demolition charges because there's no way uh, an ammonium phosphate bomb could have made the bomb pattern that was done there because they all descended vertically down. That's definitely a demolition charge thing, much like New York City, uh, 9-11. But we'll talk about that another time, too. 
Ruby Ridge seeds the basis for Timothy McVeigh's bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah building, uh, which the FBI called the worst act of homegrown terrorism in the nation's history. No, the worst act of homegrown terrorism was killing all the Branch Davidians. It says 168 people, including 19 children, were killed. At- yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a bad act. But the thing is, we just still don't know how much the government was involved. We're still looking for the details on that. Marcy Wheeler, a well-respected journalist who writes about the civil liberties and national security, Saturday morning warned, if you want to talk about Trump inciting violence, it's probably plenty early to point out that Trump staged a rally in Waco during the 30-year anniversary of the siege. Some more propaganda that goes on. So how is he inciting violence in place where violence is done? Where exactly is he speaking? Is he speaking from the Branch Davidian compound? Excuse me, residence? I don't know. I don't know. But I would be curious, really curious. Oh, yeah, so that, that previous article was Investigation in the UK. It was a British website. Okay, let's take another one. Let me uh, take a quick break here. I'll get to the Libertarian Institute. And um, where is it? Uh, Jim Bovard, who's actually a friend of one of my reporters here. And so hopefully we'll get Jim on the show. I want to see if he'll talk about this. That could be interesting. Take a look. It is now 9.36. I have one more article to go. Besides, they need to stand up and stretch anyway. So this is a good time to take a break. I need some water, too. I've been talking a lot. So I'm going to play a couple things here at 936 on Action Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Phone number 215-383-3832. Live chat is working. And the Skype line should be back soon. I don't think it's working right now, but uh, uh, it should be. We're just having a little glitch. and yeah, We're just having a little glitch. All right. Be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. 
Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. back here with our last article for today from the Libertarian Institute. This is Jim Bovard, written March 25th, 2021. So basically, um, what's it? Two years ago, almost to the day. So March 25th is when uh, Trump's speech is going to be. It makes sense that uh, this came, uh, uh, you know, two years before. It's called How the Government Covered Up the Waco Massacre. And so he calls it a Waco, Waco massacre. I've called it a Waco massacre. I call it the, the Clinton massacre now uh, because Bill Clinton's the one responsible for this. He was president. He ordered it. Uh, he approved it. You know, I'm not sure what Hillary's role in this is. Uh, Janet Reno had a big part in this. And I'm curious. Um, I, I looked up Chris, Christopher Ray, who runs the FBI right now. Apparently he was a little young. He wasn't quite there 30 years ago. But I bet you Merrick Garland was. I bet you Merrick Garland was right there in one of those tanks. Betcha, betcha. I can't prove it. Don't know. Can't find his name. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look up all the uh, – I want to find out all the people that are involved. We're going we're gonna to talk about this for the better part of the month, uh, culminating on April 19th. Um, we'll be talking about it again too. So let's see what Jim, uh, Jim Bovard says. He says, the easiest way to achieve sainthood in Washington is to cover up a federal atrocity. Thus, it is no surprise that former Senator John Danforth continues to be treated by the Washington Post as a visionary statesman. Remember, this is only written two years ago, right? even though the event happened 30 years ago. The Post showcased Danforth's attack on Donald Trump in October after Trump derided the commission on presidential debates. Danforth, a permanent member of that commission, is one of the top five, quote, useful idiots for Leviathan, according to the revised rankings after the death of John McCain. So I believe the useful idiots are all those people that, that make, uh, you know, basically government dictatorship possible. So, uh, yeah, here we go. In the 1990s, Danforth received plaudits 
P-L-A-U-D-I-T-S, don't see that word too often, for being a, quote, moderate Republican who supported gun control. Well, that makes him an unconstitutional one. But his true claim to establishment fame arose from his contortions to suppress the truth about Waco. Danforth, remember that we just talked about the last article talked about him favorably? Well, this is, this is, I believe, much more the real story. Danforth appointed himself as the nation's political faith healer after the biggest federal law enforcement debacle in modern times. Well, I would call it a maker. On February 28, 1993, 70 federal alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agents launched to the start by the ATF. The FBI wasn't even there yet. This is something people need to know. The, the ATF. The, bu- the bureaucrats of the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency. This is why nobody in the federal government should be armed um, except the military, which is separate from the government. But the idea of having armed bureaucrats other than the U.S. Marshals is insane. Look what the ATF did. They started this. The FBI came in and then killed everybody. So there's very good reasons for my disarmament bill of the 287,000 armed agents that currently exist in the government. They're a lot fewer then. They still killed a bunch of people. They had tanks, poison gas. Back to the article. In the 1990s, Dan, here we go. On February 28, 1993, 70 federal alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agents launched an attack on the home of the Branch Davidians near Waco, Texas. After the assault was rebuffed, in other words, they shot back and saved their lives, right? The FBI arrived, and on April 19, 1993, sent in tanks that demolished much of the Davidians' home before a fire broke out. Eighty corpses of men, women, and children were discovered in the wreckage. Almost nobody in Washington cared about the Texas carnage. Attorney General Janet Reno, who approved the deadly final assault, was labeled a folk hero by the Los Angeles Times, and the Washington Post declared that she had superstar status. See, nothing's different today. The Trump supporters that, that are called insurrectionists in the D.C. Gulag, called the D.C. Jail, the, most people, a lot of people in this country would be happy if they were lined up against the wall and shot for doing nothing but walking into the Capitol or walking near the Capitol, because they don't understand because the media doesn't tell them, because they don't look beyond the media. But there are plenty of people in this country who will be perfect. In fact, media people heard them. Shoot them. Who's that guy that said, shoot them? All those folks that went into the Capitol. That's what they believe. They believe this country would be better off as a communist dictatorship with anybody with a free thought that lined up against the wall and shot. Those are the kind of people that support Waco. Anyway, he says a few days after the fire, the opening of the Senate Appropriations Committee hearing had to be delayed so senators could have their pictures taken with Reno. Isn't that special? That's Janet Reno. In 1995, she testified to Congress and shrugged off the FBI's use of a 54-ton of 54-ton tanks. That's a lot. 2,000 pounds to, to the ton, so 54. You do the math. 100,000 you know pound tanks, 54-ton tanks, 200,000 pound tanks. Uh, well, whatever to assail the Davidians, declaring that the tanks were quote not military weapons. Let me say that again. 54-ton tanks, plural, to assail the Davidians. Janet Reno declared that the tanks were non-military weapons. Den, uh, Bovard says, I mean, it was like a good rent Oh, no, she also said, I mean, it was like a good rent-a-car. The tanks were not military weapons. I mean, it was like a good rent-a-car. Media coverage of Reno's showdown with congressional Republicans ignored her rent-a-tank absurdity, instead praising her toughness and demeanor. Yeah, she also called that CS gas. She kept calling it an irritant. Well, we've uh, implanted an irritant into the Branch Davidian compound. Well, that irritant was a poisonous and incredibly flammable gas. It was, it was not only a deadly toxin, but a deadly uh, flammable, deadly flame causer. And she called it an irritant. Well, she calls a tank a rent-a-car, so what do you expect? 
Back to the article. In 1999, news leaked out that the feds knowingly suppressed information about using pyrotechnics that might have started the fires that killed scores of women and children. See, that's what I think happened. Reno personally selected Danforth, a golfing buddy of President Bill Clinton, oh, there you go, to reinvestigate federal action at Waco. So in other words, they picked the one person who they knew would whitewash the whole thing and make the government uh, exonerate the whole government. They do that now. What do you think the, the, the Mueller commission was all about? They picked the one person who'd go after Trump without knowing the facts or even knowing what was really going on. What do you, why do you think all the prosecutors are handpicked to go after Trump? You know, all these people are hand-chosen. Why do you think all the investigators are chosen specifically for what they will do or will not do? And that's how this works. Article says, in July 2000, after he was rumored to be on the shortlist as George Bush's vice presidential pick, Danforth, in other words, Senator Danforth, rushed out a preliminary report. Danforth's report was more pro-FBI than the FBI itself. Well, that's interesting. And revived discredited Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms charges that the Justice Department had abandoned six years earlier. So in other words, he totally took the propaganda line and rebroadcast it like it was truth. Next headline, no-knock assault. After the nation was struck by violent protests this summer after the death of George Floyd, it was back in 2021, right? It is worth looking back 20 years to see the system and excuses that were used to absolve law enforcement gone wild. Danforth's report began by stating that Koresh and the Davidians shot and killed four ATF agents and wounded 20 others. More than 70 agents rolled up to the Davidians' home in two cattle cars and jumped out shouting, Showtime! Told you it was Operation Showtime, right? The plan was for one group of agents to break through the front door while a second group took ladders and smashed through the windows on the second floor. Oh, yeah. How about knocking on the door? Isn't that what you do with the search warrant? Not in this case. (laughs) Cattle cars full of agents with machine guns. Great. And you wonder why the Branch Davidians were scared and shot back? They thought they were going to be killed. Well, ultimately, they were. So ultimately, that was the aim all along. It says the ATF never attempted to present the search warrant. Several ATF agents said that the feds shot first. Of course they did. Danforth made no attempt to determine which side shot first, stating that was a matter outside the scope of the attorney general's order to the special counsel. So the attorney general, who, that's Janet Reno, who ordered the tanks to go in and kill these people, is the one who handpicked the one person or, or, or somebody she knew would completely exonerate her and, and uh, you know, classify what they did was justified. Well, that's like Charles Manson you know, picking his prosecutor. <laughs> it's, it's the same kind of logic. Well, actually, Janet Reno killed a lot more people than uh, Charles Manson, but that's another story. Back to the article. Regardless, since the Davidians had killed and wounded federal agents, they deserve whatever the Fed subsequently did to them. That's, what that's their thinking. Danforth tacitly accepted the notion that a massive federal no-knock assault was necessary to determine whether the Davidians had violated federal prohibitions on converting semi-automatic firearms into firing in fully automatic mode. Oh, well, that deserves a massacre. Article says, but Danforth ignored that the premise of the massive ATF attack uh, was itself a complete fraud. Only nine days before the ATF attack, David Koresh had gone target shooting with three undercover ATF agents whom he recognized as G-men. Koresh provided the ammunition and the agents handed him their guns. Noted former federal lawyer uh, David Hardy, whose research exposed the ATF memo detailing the target practice six years after the raid. After the raid, the ATF insisted that Koresh never went outside the, quote, compound, and thus the agency needed to launch a full-scale attack to get him. But Koresh could easily have been arrested while target shooting. Denforth also ignored the evidence that ATF agents shot first as they assaulted the Davidians' 
home. So he left the compound. He left the, I keep calling the compound. I'm sorry. I'm victim of propaganda myself. He left all the time. He went target shooting with ATF agents. Well, that's called entrapment. They probably uh, say, hey, you got any uh, fully automatic weapons we can try? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. As long as you guys aren't feds. Oh, we're not feds. We know how that goes, right? Article says Danforth declared that one of the key topics for his investigation was whether the military was wrongly used <laughs> uh, in the assault on the Davidians' home. Before the February 28th raid, ATF officials were told that it would be illegal for the U.S. military to assist them unless there was a, quote, drug nexus to the case. Remember the DEA? They're still around, uh, but they're not doing anything, obviously, because of fentanyl, right? They're, they're letting that come in. But if there's a drug connection, they can use the military. That's how the tanks got there. You know, the ATF doesn't have tanks as far as I know. In fact, no federal bureaucracy has tanks. So they had to use military tanks which legally they weren't supposed to do, but obviously that did anyway. Article says, a few days later, the ATF notified military officials that, voila, they suspected the Divians had a methamphetamine lab in their basement. Okay, so now they can bring in the tanks, right? So in other words, get your objective, Operation Showtime, make up the crimes, you know, uh, sexual assault of underage women, um, and uh, fully automatic machine guns, and now a meth lab in the basement. So they just keep adding the charges to suit what they want to do, right? You know, it's, 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 it's backwards jurisdiction or backwards justice. Anyway, says ATF agents had zero credible evidence, but that didn't matter. ATF agents then received training on close quarters combat and called in military helicopters from the Texas National Guard. See, they shouldn't have gone. Texas should have refused, right, to assist in the assault. Surviving Davidians alleged that the helicopters fired into their home while ATF agents attacked the front of their building. Well, this is why they, 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 you know, in fact, you're, you're justified in using force against a government agency that's trying to kill you. You know, if they had said, let's have a negotiation, let's talk, let's knock on your door, let's pick a time and we can make an appointment. Why don't you come in and talk to us? That's the normal procedure. If that didn't work, yeah, they can serve a search warrant. There's nothing wrong with that if they suspect something because they've gone through due process. They've tried the easy way, but they didn't try the easy way. They went straight for the, 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 the assault, and it looks like they shot first because they wanted to kill them. They wanted to make a show. That's what this is all about. And the ATF is technically a law enforcement agency, but they're not geared up for this, obviously. Article says, despite the massive assistance the ATF received, the drug charge vanished immediately after the raid. <laughs> what a surprise. And federal prosecutors never raised the issue at the surviving Davidians 1994 trial. Yeah, they put the victims on trial. So they survived uh, the government siege, lived through the fire, and then they put them on trial, right? Because they're evil. They're, they're, they're part of the, the, the compound instead of a, a religious community. Article says a 1996 congressional report concluded that the ATF's actions during and after the raid made it clear that the ATF believed that a methamphetamine lab did not exist. Say that again, did not exist. The House report concluded that the ATF intentionally misled Defense Department and military personnel regarding the existence of the meth lab. So why isn't that investigated as a crime? They basically they brought in tanks from the military for which they had no justification whatsoever because they wanted tanks, because they wanted to kill them. I mean, ultimately, that's what this all comes down to. Article says it didn't matter. Instead, Danforth's report noted that while the Office of Special Counsel did not extensively investigate the basis for the ATS assertion that there was a drug nexus, there was some evidence prior to February 28, 1993, connecting drug activity with the complex, which could form the basis of a drug nexus. What's a nexus? Like some kind of connection? 
Danforth's investigation spent $12 million, didn't bother investigating whether or not there was any viable evidence of a mess lab, but dredged up the, quote, could form the basis, hokum. This is the same type of flimsy drug link that has been used to justify thousands of no-knock raids in subsequent decades. This is where it started, right? Danforth's ludicrous survival of the drug charge sufficed to whitewash the militarization of law enforcement. That goes on today. Military surplus equipment to law enforcement? Don't agree. Let's go back to Adam Toll days. Article says Danforth's report minimizes or comically misrepresents the amount of force the feds used against the Davidians. FBI agents repeatedly threw flashbang grenades at Davidians who tried to leave the residence and may have thrown them inside the Davidians' residence. Yeah, I'm sure they did. When Senator Charles Grassley, Republican of Iowa, asked Danforth about that at the hearing, Danforth replied that flashbangs are, quote, in the nature, as I understand it, of, you know, firecrackers. <laughs> no, they're not. They, he says they make a flash and they make a bang. <laughs> yeah. And they don't cause injury as a general rule. And then he says, a this is the, the, uh, Jim Bovard says, a 2019 federal appeals court decision noted that flashbang grenades are, quote, four times louder than a 12-gauge shotgun blast and with a powerful enough concussive effect to break windows and put holes in walls. Probably to start fires, too. Says flashbangs burn hotter than lava and have started more than 100 fires across the nation. Well, there's your source of the flames. So you pump in poison gas, you punch holes in the building for, for ventilation so that the fire spreads faster. Uh, and once the gas is all there, then you uh, send in the flashbangs, which burn hotter than lava. You start the fires and everybody dies. It's not a surprise as to how this happened. We know how it happened. The question is forcing these people who did it to pay for the crime that they did. And that's not going to happen with this Danforth report. Article says some of the section uh, hearings in Danforth's report made Waco sound like a huge law enforcement success, such as the description of the origins of the FBI tank gas assault. Quote, the FBI develops a tactical solution to the standoff. <laughs> Tell that to the Marines. Article says after the FBI had gassed the Davidians for more than four hours and exhausted almost its entire gas supply, FBI tank drivers were ordered to demolish the building, even though scores of women and children remained inside. In the next hour, tanks smashed into the residence eight times and collapsed at least one quarter of the Davidians' home. The Dallas Morning News summarized government documents on the tank assault. Quote, just before noon, FBI on-scene commander Richard Rogers, I've got to find him, ordered tanks in front to drive deep into the building toward the compound tower. At his base was a concrete room where officials believed the, quote, hostiles were hiding. Records show. FBI Deputy Director Floyd Clark, we'll have to check him out too, admitted in 1995 congressional testimony that the destruction of the building was part of the ultimate plan to bring the siege to an end. Yeah, like I said, they were trying to kill them. Despite all this evidence, Danforth concluded that FBI agents never intended to demolish the building. <laughs> Ignoring the 1993 memo, which says they were planning to demolish the building, right? Danforth accepted that face value the 1995 testimony of FBI on-scene commanders Jeffrey Jamar and Richard Rogers, who insisted that the tanks were not attempting to bring the building down. In the report's jaw-dropping words, the Office of Special Counsel, that's Janet Reno's office, picking her own hand-picked investigator, said, uh, Office of Special Counsel is confident the quoted language in the 1993 memo is simply incorrect. <laughs> right. Danforth was dismissive not only of written evidence, but of convincing visual evidence. Waco, rules of engagement. That's the video I told you about. 
you have to see this video. It's still out there. You can get it on Rumble. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but I know it's on Rumble. Waco and uh, the Rules of Engagement. That's it. Just says Waco Rules of Engagement. Watch that film. This is a movie that won an Emmy and was nominated for an Academy Award. Shows lengthy footage of FBI tanks repeatedly and systematically demolishing much of the building. Yeah, I've seen it. It's exactly what it shows. Harvard professor Alan Stone, one of the outside experts the Justice Department tapped in 1993 to examine the incident, concluded, quote, some of the government's actions may have killed people before the fire started. I cannot tell whether the tanks knocked down places where people were already. I, know, I don't know if there were people in there crushed by the collapsing buildings as a result of the FBI tanks plowing into the structure before the fire started. See much more of this article I have. I've, I've, I've technically run out of time, but I don't want to stop yet. Uh, if it's not too, too well, there's a lot more to go. I might hold it here and just pick up the, uh, no, actually, there's very little. I'll, I'll be able to finish this. So the FBI power techniques, uh, yeah, I can do this. So let me see what that last quote was. I missed my place. No, it's law enforcement. I read that paragraph. Hunter Fires Cross-Nation, I read that. After the FBI had gassed the videos on the far, I read that. Here we go. Let's just start here. Uh, despite all this evidence, Danforth concluded that the FBI agents never intended to demolish the building. Ignoring the 1993 memo, I read that too. Uh, I read that too. All right, here we go. The FBI pyrotechnic devices were the hottest item in Danforth's investigation. Reno had sworn to a congressional committee in 1995 that the FBI used no pyrotechnic devices at Waco. Yet Danforth told a Senate committee that the use of the pyrotechnics itself under these circumstances was not a big thing. It's like, no, we didn't use it, but yes, we did, but it's okay. <laughs> that's, that's federal logic, right? Danforth also assured the senators, I don't think that there's been anybody that I know of connected with the government who has ever believed that the use of pyrotechnics, in this case, had anything to do with the fire. What do you think pyro means? Pyrotechnics? Pyrotechnics means, you know, explosions. <laughs> means fireworks. <laughs> they cause fires, right? And then it says, and what was this proof? What was this proof? The FBI told them so. Regardless of how often the FBI changed the story, its latest version was sacrosanct. So, so Danforth, no matter what, just whatever the FBI said, that's, that's what happened. No investigation, no looking at the branch civilians, no, no nothing. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's amazing. So anyway, this is going to have to be listened to by folks in the uh, podcast, but I think I can get it in here and then uh, just a few paragraphs left and away we go. So last section, faith in government. Danforth's report noted several cases where the federal officials either made false statements or wrongfully withheld key evidence. Hmm. Sounds like the trial of the January Sixers. It says none of that troubled Danforth. A St. Louis Post-Dispatch headline perfectly summarized his report. Officials had nothing to hide but hid some, <laughs> hid some things anyway. <laughs> yeah, there we go. In the report's preface, Danforth made bizarre excuses for lying federal officials. He says, in today's world, it is perhaps understandable that government officials are reluctant to make full disclosures of information for fear that the result of candor will be personal or professional ruin. How about like jail time for murder? That would, that would, that, that's what we're thinking of here, right? He says any missteps yield, uh, yields howls of indignation, calls for resignations, and still more investigations. Oh, we can't have that. Danforth vehemently opposed any prosecution of any federal official who misled investigators on Waco from 1993 onwards. Yeah, that's called perjury. That's punishable by fines and jail. Yeah. 
Last couple of paragraphs. Even though the numerous agency and congressional investigations had found federal misconduct regarding Waco, Danforth lamented a nearly universal readiness to believe that the government must have done something wrong. Breaking this vicious circle of distrust and recrimination is essential if we are to rebuild the consent of the governed, that's we the people, on which our system depends. Danforth championed a move-along, nothing-to-see-here version of consent of the governed, which, in which citizens are obliged to swallow, ultimately, federal malarkey. In other words, they gassed them, killed them, bulldozed the bodies into the ground, and said, okay, time to heal. Nothing to see here. We're done. It's over. Yeah. The lesson of Waco, according to Danforth, was that the burden is on all of us to be more skeptical of those who make sensational accusations of evil acts by government. Danforth declared that he hoped his report would, quote, begin the process of restoring the faith of the people in their government and the faith of the government in the people. (laughs) Danforth believed government officials had been wrongfully victimized by public distrust. The phrase about restoring the faith of the government in the people should have been ridiculed from coast to coast. Yeah. And the vaccines are safe and effective. Mm hmm. Sure. And the election was the was the was the safest election we've ever had. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep going. And nothing happened at Waco. Everything was proper. Mm. And the lies keep going and going and going. And yesterday's lies will cover uh, today's lies, cover yesterday's lies. Tomorrow's lies will cover today's lies. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Last little bit. Danforth masterminded the first investigation into a cover-up that justified the cover-up. Well, that's fascinating. That was not surprising, since his goal was not to determine what government did so much as to correct the public's bad attitude toward the use of tanks against civilians. You see, you're not supposed to use tanks against civilians, okay? That's a war crime. You don't use military tanks against civilians, gas, burn, kill them, incinerate them, and then bulldoze their bodies into the ground. That's not what America is about, but it is according to Danforth and Janet Reno and Bill Clinton. They were fine with all this. Bill Clinton still is. He's never... He's never uh, confessed. He's never uh, asked for forgiveness. He's never explained. He's never even talked about uh, what happened at Waco. He should. So should Hillary. What did she do there? Almost done. <laughs> the powers that be hailed Danforth's report as the ultimate absolution on Waco. FBI Director Louis Free, I'm going to find where he is now, too, declared seven years of absorbing unproven allegations and unfounded criticisms has levied a heavy burden on the agents who are at Waco and their families as well. Oh, the poor agents who are at Waco who survived and went home to dinner. Mm. He said, this report brings great solace to them in that its findings reaffirm in which we have always believed, that they did their best and all for the right reasons. (laughs) No, they did their worst and all for the wrong reasons. Deputy Attorney General Eric Holder declared, we join Senator, Dan- oh, I look up him now. We join Senator Danforth in wishing that this report begins the process of restoring the faith of the people in their government. <laughs> no, ain't going to happen. PBS NewsHour host Jim Lehrer gushed to Danforth on national television. You did tremendous investigating. Yeah, a bunch of BS. Danforth talked as if blind trust in Washington is the key to good government. Citizens provided almost boundless trust uh, after the 9-11 attacks. And the result was a disastrous war in Iraq, a worldwide torture regime, and the national security agencies, that's the NSA, ravaging Americans' privacy. And the FBI agents that Danforth exonerated created an endless series of scandals, entrapments, and debacles, culminating perhaps in their efforts to take down President Donald Trump. That's where they are now. So I guess they learned it at Waco. Well, yeah, fine. I'm going to start tracing some people. 
Last paragraph. In his Washington Post opted, op-ed in October, Danforth waited, wailed, excuse me, that Trump's accusing the Commission on Presidential Debates of favoritism destroys public confidence in the most basic treasure of democracy, the conduct of fair elections, <laughs> and paves the way to violence in the streets, which the government does, right? But for many Americans, government under the law is the basic treasure of democracy. We are to democracy. And Danforth, yap, Danforth yapping about the peril of violence in the streets rings hollow after he whitewashed a federal lawsuit that left 80 people dead. Americans are sick and tired of the move along, nothing to see here version of democracy that Danforth offered. Let me just last couple sentences again. But for many Americans, government under the law is the basic treasure of democracy. And Danforth's yapping about the peril of violence in the streets rings hollow after he whitewashed a federal assault that left 80 people dead. I should have said 80 people dead. <laughs> i get my inflections right. Americans are sick and tired of the move-along, nothing-to-see-here version of democracy that Danforth offered. Well, I'm sick of the version of democracy, because we aren't. Jim Board, a junior fellow at the Libertarian Institute. He is author of Public uh, Policy Hooligan, uh, Attention Deficit Democracy, <laughs> uh, Lost Rights, The Destruction of American Liberty, and a bunch of other books. Sounds like an interesting guy. We've got to get him on the show. All right. So that's the Libertarian Institute, how the government covered up the Waco massacre. Yeah, they basically held whitewash hearings, and uh, that's what they did. All right. Uh, I'm basically done. I played all the things I have to play except my musical selection um, to end the show. And today's selection, ah, there we go. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to play it. It's more fun that way. So thank you for listening. Greg Pengles here for Action Radio, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. A legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. We've got uh, my substack at gregpengles.substack.com. Uh, we've got our, our uh, what else have we got? Um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Our, our uh, donation site, uh, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. I think that's it. So we go. Let's play a little bit of music on our way out, and I will see you all tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Please be here. I mean, excuse me. Start again, Greg. 7 a.m. Central Time. I keep thinking Eastern. I talked to so many East Coast guests. So we're here 7 a.m. Central Time, Central Time, on the Gulf Coast of Mexico in the town of Milton, Florida, along the uh, Blackwater River. Back tomorrow.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.